Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. host of a podcast called Caramel Sun. Yeah, yeah. So fast. Yeah, it keeps keeps me busy. Um, I definitely love doing it, and I appreciate the support that you've given to the Paranormal Sun. And I I started out originally, as I say, I started with a program that was kind of everything, so I was kind of doing uh, life life's business as well as the paranormal on it. And then I worked out pretty early that I needed to split it off and do it separately. So I've been doing it for about a year now. And um, I mean, it, it's it's had its ups and downs, don't get me wrong. But um, I'm so, so thankful that I took the time to do it. I've really enjoyed doing it. And I've got to meet all kinds of great people like you and what you do. And uh, and like I say, I really do appreciate the support, Tanner. That's no problem. So you finding yourself looking back at older episodes and going like, wow, like, I, mean, I was, I was for, it's for up there. I do that with my stuff all the time. Uh, yeah, it, with with me, um, some of that stuff I've gone back and I've I've kind of, I I call it remastering, but it's not really. It's just like as you learn new techniques, you just know how to clean things up. But um, a lot of it has just been teaching myself how to pace things and how to speak. So what I mean, for example, is you'll get a lot of podcasters or people when they're nervous, because I do it when I'm nervous, they'll repeat words and I'll keep going. Um, uh, they'll do something like that. And over time, you just train yourself to where you you catch it as you're doing it. And then it just becomes so much easier once you do it, because then when you've got interviews with people, you don't have to go back and edit out a bunch of it. Uh, but at the time, like, like I say, if I go back and listen to some of those early episodes, I know that uh, there's certain phrases that I'll use that when I hear them now, it's like hearing the, somebody drag their nails on the chalkboard, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, uh, I'm a lot. And, like, do that. 
And so knowing where we listen to. <laughs> well, the the reality is, though, also, I had somebody asking for advice in a podcast group the other day. And basically she said, oh, if there's one piece of advice that you could give someone who's just starting out that you've learned since you've been doing your show. And, and that's what I said. Look, you, you want to turn out polished content. You want to have good content and you want the audio to sound good. But when you spend hours obsessing over cleaning up every little bit of audio, the the reality is the listeners aren't going to notice it. They'll notice big things. But, but yeah, I mean, things that annoy us as as the hosts, the listeners will go, oh, I didn't even notice that really. As long as what you're doing is interesting and they're involved in it, I don't think they really count how many times you say the word and, for example. And so all those little things, I mean, now I I still do edit, don't get me wrong, but it's much more about emptying dead noise or dead spaces. And yeah. especially when I have guests on, I always, like I say, to me, as the host, it's my job to make my guests sound as good as possible. So if my guest is nervous or whatever it is, if they've had the cough, then it's on me to to just clean it up and make sure that I'm presenting them in their best light because they're taking the time to be on my program. Yeah. Good way to be, I think. Yeah, well, it's just to me, that's how I always look at it is that they're doing me the favor. And don't get me wrong, I, I love those conversations. I, I love having people on. And, and this is what gets the brain firing and gets me thinking about different things. And it just kind of refreshes my my interest in all of this and, and just constantly as I talk to people and we talk about different things, I'll remember something I'm going to cover or it'll remind me of something I've already covered. And it just gets it, it, it's just like anything we enjoy in life, like people who love sports. You start talking about it. You start getting excited. It's the same with this topic for me. When did you first like get into this topic? You can remember? Oh, as, as, as long ago as, as I can remember. So. Uh, I mean, from a very young age, basically at least as early as I could read and maybe before that. I mean, my generation, one of the things we had that we kind of laugh and, and, and snicker about it, but Scooby-Doo got a lot of people in the 70s and 80s interested in this kind of stuff, like ghosts and cryptids and aliens and so... I'm not going to, you know, it's not like now where you can turn on TV and find all kinds of shows about the stuff, but it wasn't like no one had ever talked about it. And I grew up in the country. We didn't have a lot to do back then. We didn't have the internet and we only had three TV channels. So I read a lot and I was really fortunate that my mom had inherited or gathered together a bunch of old books, uh, hand-me-downs and paperbacks, all kinds of books, a lot of John Keel's writings, and a lot of stuff that's either out of print or really expensive now. And so from a, I, I mean, from a really young age, I remember reading about Kelly Hopkinsville, reading about um, the uh, the sighting in the Pacific Northwest, Kenneth Arnold, that termed the, the phrase, uh, coined the phrase flying saucers, and just on and on and on. And, and yeah, man, I've just, as long as I can remember, I've been interested in everything I cover on the show. And like, books. I'm, I love like really old books with the leather uh, cover and everything. Yeah. Oh, I think they have like different paper, kind of paper with like different. Yeah, we, we were, uh, again, we were just 
fortunate. I think a lot of the places that I lived, we didn't live in big cities. We didn't live in areas with a lot of, uh, you know, like we, we didn't live in affluent areas. So those older books got left on the shelves. And I mean, I've done a few episodes. I've got a few books around here from the 1800s that I've got oh. the physical books. Yeah, that I've I've um, I've read parts out of uh, for some of the Irish episodes. That's amazing. Uh, I've, oh. There's so many books in my life, man, that I wish I would have held on to. But when you move around, that's that's one of the things that happens. You have to let things go, unfortunately. Are you more of a fan of like physical books or like eBooks? I, I prefer the physical books. Um, I I've read eBooks, but I can just never I can never relax sitting at a computer trying to read. I yeah. I guess it's just that indoctrination of of work and equating sitting there reading. It's like I can game and I can listen to music and that, but if I'm actually reading, uh, it's like my brain just goes into work mode. Um, so what I do a lot of times if I can find them is uh, uh, I'll listen to audio books as well. Yeah, I love audiobooks. I used to listen to a bunch of them at work. Like about like four or five, and like blew through them like in days. There's so much on on uh, YouTube, man. You'd be amazed how much there is on YouTube. Um, pretty much like I went through a phase where I basically listened to everything that Lovecraft did, and almost all of it is on YouTube. And oh. it's and and I like those old audiobooks where. They actually made an effort to like have different voices for different characters and that. And nowadays, a lot of times when you get an audiobook, it's just one person reading the whole book. Which uh, and and I get why they do it, but I'm just saying in the old days, with a lot of those older books, it seems almost like it was a play, like a radio style play. And um, yeah, so so there's some of those. Uh, a lot of that stuff, I'll just look uh, because of my suggestions in YouTube. You know, because of the algorithm. A lot of times, um, a lot of the older books will just come up. Um, there was, let's see, what was the last one I was listening to? Uh, I was listening to some Jack Vance stuff. So Jack Vance, a lot of people don't recognize the name, but Jack Vance wrote a bunch of sci-fi, basically called, um, it was called the Dying Earth uh, Saga. And the whole idea in D&D with magic where you've got like, You've got two level three spells and three like charges versus magic points that came directly from Jack Vance's writings. So even though people may not know who he is, as soon as you say that, they'll go, oh, and he wrote a lot of stuff in the 30s, 40s and 50s. So I, I listened to a few of those not too long ago. I listened to uh, some stuff on like on the field of gods and uh, like uh, I don't know. Food, food of the gods is is that like to do with um, food like from? Yeah, that's that's what I thought it was. That yeah, that's why I just wanted to ask. Yeah, that is an interesting topic. There's a bunch of books I need to read. Same I, same here, man. I've 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 read I've read hundreds, if not thousands, and um, there's still plenty more out there. Um, every once in a while, I'll see one pop up somewhere, and I'm like, oh, and I never remember them. You know, it's like. It's only later on that I realize, oh yeah, what was the name of that book? Or I, I am fortunate that I've got a pretty good memory, so I can usually at least remember parts, like maybe what the book was about, or the title, or the author, and then I can find it with the internet now. It's so, uh, I mean, that is one thing now. Um, it's so handy to have the internet and be able to research. Definitely. 
like a story about like getting like stuff wrong on the show. We all do it, man. I do it. Um, I do it. Uh, a lot of times I've got so much floating around in my head because I've been involved in this stuff for so long that I'll get whatever it is 80% right. So I might talk about a UFO case and I might say it happened in Arizona and it happened in 57 and in reality it happened in 59. So if if it's a major thing, then I'll go back and like either say the next week or sometimes if I'm editing and it's with a guest, then I'll I'll make notes in the show notes. But as yeah. long as it's not like just completely wrong, then usually I mean people understand these things. It's it's not like we're reading off a script, especially when you got guests there. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, you, you're doing your, I, I think most people realize when a host is genuine and as long as you're doing your best to be genuine and you're not just saying things to try and get like shock, shock appeal, I don't think anyone really gets too upset about it. Yeah. You watch, uh, Haunting Bly Manor? No, no, I haven't. Oh man. Is, is that a series or? Yeah. So, so tell me what it's about. Uh, this woman goes and like babysit, like a uh, nanny for his two kids, and uh, it's like everyone's a ghost there, I guess. <laughs> and that sounds. They have a really cool ahead. like lady in the water. Okay. Uh, character like no face, like walks around, like same route every night. All right. Well, that that is one thing, man. That I'll say, especially. These things like ghosts, vampires, UFOs, if if you go and you, you look at the last 150 years or so of what we would call Western civilization, these things tend to be cyclical. So like obviously in the 1890s, vampires were all the rage because Dracula came out in that. And then in the 30s, you had another cycle of vampires being really big. And then it happened again in the 60s. And then I, I think it was around the early 2000s with Twilight. So what you do find is a lot of these things, even though they are timeless, it's like they go through cycles and they become popular again. Uh, just like uh, Lord of the Rings and Tolkien, you know. I mean, when I was in school, I remember the old uh, animated movie that Brasky did about uh, Lord of the Rings and he couldn't he didn't have the money to do it right so it didn't come out like if you watch it it doesn't make sense because there were things he had to cut out or he couldn't get done but then to see what they did with the stuff on screen I mean it, it's just it just it all I'm saying is that a lot of these things like hauntings and ghosts and that will never go out of fashion but there it's got like peaks and valleys where it's really popular and then it dies down a bit uh, with any of this stuff. And like right now, obviously, we're back into a peak of UFOs because everybody's talking about this footage and everybody's talking about what's going to happen in June. And yeah, it it, it just, as, as you look at the cycles, man, you'll, you'll see with almost all of this stuff, it kind of goes through its ups and downs of being popular or being more in the mainstream. People like you and I are always talking about it, but what gets talked about or what gets made into TV shows or movies. Say they're like, right now, with all the UFO stuff that came out with the government over here. Say about right now they're working on special shows related to that topic. Like a PSI show with UFOs. Going on ABCC or something. 
Yeah, and apparently they're going to be making a. They're going to have Demi Lovato hosting a show about UFOs, and and I, yeah. I did say it last week on my program. I was like, look, I don't know her, um, but it's just like to me, the, I, I don't really need some celebrity that says they saw a UFO to host a show. Like I don't, I I don't know these people personally, so it's not like it's not like I hate them, but like I don't care what the Kardashians think about UFOs. I don't care what, you know, any of these kind of pop stars. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting if they tell me their story and they say, hey, look, this is what I saw and all that. But I don't necessarily want to watch them hosting a show unless it was someone like I personally was interested in. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of someone right now like um, um, Jimmy. Jimmy Church has done some. Um, go ahead. One guy from Ghostbusters. Yeah, um, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, he uh, he's had some very interesting things to say about it as well. I don't know if you've heard it all. Uh, yeah, like his whole family was like uh, mediums and stuff. You're saying? Well, he was involved. He was involved in a in a series, and and I'm trying to re- I I just can't remember it off the top of my head, but it was a History Channel series about UFOs. He was involved in that. And they basically, the network just basically like canceled it out of the blue and it was doing really well and and that. And, you know, he asked the question, he goes, what are you talking about? Why? And he just basically got told, oh, it's just being canceled and it's above, it's above our head, it's above your head and just go along with it. And uh, I did find the wording quite interesting because you can say that to a producer at a network. It's different when you're talking about somebody who's, a huge movie star and is independently wealthy. I mean, you can't really censor him per se because if he gets fired, he's like, oh, well, I'm still rich. But what you can't do is just pull the platform out from under him and cancel the series. And I saw a few little snippets that he's done, and he seemed to be very jaded about what happened. And I don't think it's one of those things where he didn't talk about everything or he won't discuss what happened. It's just like you can tell he wasn't happy about it. Um, I can't remember the show, but I know it was a History Channel program. And it was a pretty good program. I remember watching some of it. Hard to keep up. Was it, it wasn't like uh, Ancient Aliens. That was no, 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 no. It, but but it, was, it was a fairly big budget um, program. Hold on here. I'll just have a look. Out there? Um uh, I don't think that was it. Um, I know that Bill Burns, you know, Bill Burns, who's been involved in Ancient Aliens and that, he was he was on it. And it was a series. It wasn't just like a one-off documentary. Uh, yeah, you're right. Sorry, that was it out there on the Sci-Fi channel. Yeah, because it only went one season, and he was pretty annoyed by it because, like, that was his question as well. What was, Were the ratings that bad? And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> but I, I've, and and I get that we have to be careful about saying everything's conspiracy related. But there have been other shows like this as well that just kind of get cut out of the blue, and it does make you wonder why. Um, maybe they're just getting a little bit too close for comfort for some people, and um, they just don't want it aired. Maybe it's so many, it's so many reasons nowadays. It's like cancel culture and like this budgets things get cut all the time probably only see worry about especially in Hollywood oh yeah 
no, you're right. But, um, like I say, it's one thing to talk to a producer like that, but when you're talking about Dan Aykroyd, I know he's a little older now, and it's not like he's in all kinds of hip films at the moment, but he, you know, he was a big star. He's definitely an A-list celebrity. This isn't um, Tila Tequila or someone. Yeah. But so, they've been uh, saying... Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. So, um, I watched, uh, like, all of um, Surviving Death over the week, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty good, eh? Yeah, well, I'm, I gotta do some more research into, like, the plasma. Yeah, so... That was pretty interesting. I I don't know how far it goes back, but I know ectoplasm's been discussed since the at least the early 1800s, and um, that like, I, I, I know a lot of that stuff, like that spirit photography and all of that. That's something that like um, Arthur Conan Doyle was interested in, the guy who created uh, Sherlock Holmes. He was really interested in this stuff um, in the paranormal, and. He kind of got discredited because he believed that these girls in England saw these fairies and um, that it ended up being a hoax later on. And so he got discredited as far as people taking his thoughts on things seriously. And from what I kind of gather, it's it's not that he he was using scientific method and all that. I just think he wanted to believe probably a bit too much. And so there were some things that he probably overlooked that a scientist in a lab would not overlook but yeah that that like that the ectoplasm and those photos and all that kind of stuff it is really interesting and i mean you've got other things like aura photography um yeah and and i thought me personally i thought that series and i i'm hoping they're going to have more but those six episodes were really well done and i think they did a really good job kind of covering over a, a pretty good um a pretty a pretty good spread of kind of the life after death phenomena with you live with you i like ah I agree with you right. what you? what did you go ahead sorry I'll go ahead what did you think about the very first episode where they had that lady who was the doctor and she was talking about you know uh she was on that canoeing expedition or whatever it was whitewater rafting and just the way because it's one thing for me to tell you my NDEs and someone else to me though it's a lot different when a doctor because they know like especially her and what her specialty was it's not like she's a foot doctor I mean this is exactly what she this is the field she works in she knows all this stuff what did you think about her testimony but her uh, NDE's experience was uh, amazing. Very. Talked yep. to somebody. I talked to somebody else about NDE's. He's like been studying them, and there's something to them. We can't really figure out why they're happening exactly. Every explanation. Every explanation they come up with doesn't really apply to everyone. Yeah, and and, and that's it to me. It's. With so many of these things, you've heard me say it on the program so many times, it only takes one white crow to prove that not all crows are black. 
Yeah. And that's that's the reality of it. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm partial to them because I've had two NDEs, and my stepdad had an NDE um, that was pretty vivid, and he was dead for like eight, nine minutes on the operating table. And the, But the thing is, when you talk to people in the medical field, especially doctors and nurses and that, who have been doing this for a while, for like 20, 30 years, it's all kind of second nature to them. They're, they just kind of like, yeah, they'll talk to you a little bit about it, but they're not like, oh, wow, tell me more. They're just like, oh, yeah, this happens. <laughs> that's that's yeah. how they kind of leave it. It's it's just they accept it. They may not – if you put them on a TV camera and put them on the 6 o'clock news, they may not agree with it there. But as far as one-on-one, -on -one, yeah, they're just like, this happens, I mean, all the time. They seem like kind of like matter of fact about it, yeah. you're saying. Yeah, and uh, I think that last, I think it was the last episode where they were talking to that doctor, um, or it might have been the second to last, where they, he was talking about people passing away and people coming to see them. And you, you see how he just got to it at the end. He said going into it, he never would have agreed with it. But now he's he, he basically says... Um, there's got to be something to it because he's seen it himself and he's seen it over and over and over and over. It's not just one or two cases. Um, yeah, I, I mean, anyone who's worked with the elderly or aged care and nursing home, like my mom did it. My mom used to tell us stories and she said that a lot of nurses, after they've done it for many years, they'll even start scheduling the beds and the bed plans and that off of these people who are seeing their loved ones because they know they're not going to live generally longer than two weeks after that starts happening. That's kind of the thumbnail is about two weeks. Very rarely does someone live longer than that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is pretty, it's, it's very interesting where you've got a very divisive thing. It's like, there's people who are like, Oh, it's all BS. Or you've got people like this who are just like, well, no, it's, it happens and it happens all the time and they, you know there are i know there are people in general that are kind of in the middle and, and want to ask questions and want to learn more but it does seem to be a very divisive topic oh i mean in my point of view i don't really see the point of being divisive because it's like it's learning more about how the world works this is probably just not new but we're less knowledgeable about what's happening with NDEs at the moment, at least, and I think I'm more of a learning experience more than like either this or that, you know. I think that anything like this that has got the the ability to basically change your whole worldview yeah. is always there's always going to be people because there are people who have grown up as um, atheists. They don't believe in religion. They don't believe in life after death. A lot of people in the scientific community believe once the brain is dead, that's it. You're toast. There's nothing more. And I think that's where there's a lot of that resistance because let's just say for argument's sake, they say, well, maybe it's true. They've got to open their mind to a lot of other things like psychic phenomena, uh, astral travel, um, yeah. remote viewing. All, so, so many of these other things that they've told us are absolute BS and none of it can be true. I think that that might be part of it. It's it's kind of like that whole, once there's one hole in the wall, then the breeze is just going to come in. And to me, you can't, it's, it's, I look at it a bit differently, I guess. It's just like, to me, 
you can't just say it's only NDEs and nothing else. It's like NDEs are, are linked to other things. So if NDEs or any of this other stuff ends up being proven even plausible, not just, you know, not, not confirmed, but at least plausible, you've got to start looking at kind of everything. I, I just don't. I, I just don't see how you can put it in a vacuum tube and go, okay, this is this is true, but all the other stuff is BS. <laughs> yeah, but I think they take it because like something's true doesn't make everything true, right? Yeah, it, well, it's it's just kind of like the whole UFO like, hypothesis and ETs and that. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of the same. There are just people out there. Like I, I, when I was doing research for this episode that I'm going to be doing um, this week, I read something and I actually got annoyed just reading it because they were saying it, it had to do with gray aliens. And there was a biologist saying, oh, well, they're not different enough from us. That's impossible that you, they, they wouldn't be so similar to us. And I'm thinking, how many other planets have you lived on? How yeah. many other species besides what's on Earth? Have you watched develop? Like, how can you say that? Like, I understand that he, if he would have come across and said, uh, I, I think it's unlikely, but to just say it's impossible because basically I say so and I know better, it's like, unless you've got a direct line to, uh, you know, the uh, Akashic Records or whatever, or God, or I, I don't see how you can make a statement like that. <laughs> it's like they're uh, assuming that how life develops on Earth is how life just develops, period. Don't think about Indian. Hello, everybody. My name is Tanner. I'm here to tell you about Esprata. Esprata is a brand for women and men's clothing. You have dresses, shoes, accessories like bags, sunglasses, and jewels, hoodies, tops, and tees, t-shirts, blazers, shorts, pants, skirts, jeans, jackets, coats, gym outfits, women's bodysuits, jumpsuits, lingerie, swimsuits, You have dresses you need. Spotted all that new. I'll find here something about them quick. Uh, find them at Esprada, Esprada, dot com. Esprada was created for the sole purpose of bringing together new and exclusive products. They endeavor to be constantly engaged with close ties to designers and trend centers. Our products are meant to complement your outfit. With the help of our fashion experts, we manage to bring you exclusive and exciting clothes directly from the manufacturer. It's a 100% money back guarantee, free worldwide shipping, exclusive clothes, 24 hour consumer support. You can get a great deal at Esprata today by the logo by going 
click on the logo in the cozycryptid.com forward slash brand section of Esprata. And make an order. Then you on checkout, type in Cozy Cryptid Padra for 35% off your order. Again, you shop at Esprata. Espadra. Use code word Cozy Cryptid Padra for 35% off your order. Well, I, I, I think I, I think what it is is just what you were saying about the NDEs and that they don't want to speak in maybes because they want to shut it down, basically. And so if they yeah. say definitively, well, I'm an expert and I went to college for this many years to do this, and I'm telling you, it's almost like they think they're just going to shut down the discussion. But it's 2021. It's not 1960. Like. I respect someone who goes to, to college and all that and knows what they want to do, but you're not going to, you can tell me whatever you want. It doesn't mean that I'm going to just stop thinking how I want because you've got a degree. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not that way anymore. Yeah. It's like, um, I'll just, oh, fuck pauses. It's like a damn really expensive piece of paper on your wall. Like, you don't really care. Yeah. It's, um, there, there are lots of people over the years that have just spoken definitively that they know that this is not uh, true. Or go ahead. I can't, I can't have people saying I got. I'm there's very few things I say I know in this oh, world. That's, that's it, man. You, know? you, you, you've heard me, and um, look, I always present what I found and kind of what my research in that shows very rarely will i discuss what where i feel the needle lies because again i want each person to make up their own mind but the the first thing that i always say and it's not just part of the show it's just me if i screw up i'll put my hand up and say hey look i screwed up or i got it wrong um but but yeah i i don't speak in definitives because i've said it before and it's one of my favorite sayings and that is that the older I get, the less I know, because you're always learning something new. There's always something new going on, and so often things in our lives that when we're young, we're sure this is how the world is. We get proven wrong as we get older and as we experience more in life. It's it's kind of like that thing when you're a kid and you get taught that stealing is wrong. And I don't disagree that we shouldn't be stealing, but if your family's starving and it's either feed them or not, again, then you start introducing gray areas and it's not everything is not black and white. And I think it's just like all of these things that we talk about. Somebody said to me, oh, well, what do you think about aliens? Um, Are they ETs or are they this? And I say, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not the question. The question is, are they this, 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 and this? In other words, you can have more than one box ticked it's just like what we call ghosts or spirits they can be demons they could be spirits of people who have passed away they could be interdimensional beings they could be they don't have to be only one we we don't know i mean none of us has got that kind of knowledge It, it could be multiple explanations or in different cases it could be this time it was a, a traveler from Zeta Reticuli or whatever, and this time it was someone from the inner earth. I mean, we've got no way of knowing, and, and I think it's a bit foolhardy when – I know it's human nature, but when people just want to say, well, this is the explanation, I think that most of these things that we're dealing with are so complex. It's not as simple as just saying, oh, well, that was it. It was um, 
it was a, a plesiosaur, you know, that's what the Loch Ness Monster is. Okay, well, what about the other hundreds of sea serpents and lake monsters all over the world? Are they all plesiosaurs? Reality says no. <laughs> one, kid, one guy was like a uh, reincarnation of a, I think it was like a Navy guy who got shot down in Ujima. That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's probably the most famous modern case, I would say. Um, as, as you know, uh, Tanner, I mean, your listeners might not all know, but I've done three or four episodes already on reincarnation, and I've already covered over about 30 cases, and I'll be doing more in the future. And that one is... It's no one's fault, because the U.S. obviously has got bigger media than anywhere else in the world... And you've got lots more people in the U.S. who have time to pay attention to things like this. But things when they happen in the U.S., like a UFO sighting or reincarnation claim or Bigfoot, it just tends to get covered so much more or it's so much more well-known. And some of these other cases, though, I'll tell you, man, that, that I've done around the world, they're, they're just as fascinating. There was one that I did in Burma or Myanmar. And it was basically a girl that was born, and she claimed that she was a Japanese soldier in World War II that lived in the village. And if the stories are right, she basically was born like 50 feet away from where she died in her previous life. And her mother claimed that this soldier came to her before she had her daughter and said, oh, I'm coming back. I'm going to come and see you very soon. And then the daughter ended up being born. Um, she She cooked... Like, even though the rest of her family could cook and all that, she said that she wanted to cook because she was the only one who knew how to do it right because she'd been a cook in the army. And just on and on and on. And, I mean, like that case, there's so many things there that kind of correlate. There's the case in India I did, which, again, was another fascinating case where this girl went to go and meet the family in the previous life. And she could even tell them things that they didn't know on the spot. They had to go away and talk with the family to, like, compare notes, and then they say, oh, that is true. And things like this, I mean, it's it can only be a few things. It could be psychic abilities, like mind reading. But in this case, see, like the one in India, to me, that doesn't hold true. And the reason why that doesn't hold true is she didn't know anything about what happened in the family after the, the previous lady died. So it wasn't like she was reading their minds and saying, oh, and you're married to so-and-so. She didn't know anything after that death. So I'm not going to say that not all. You know, there could be cases where you've got uh, psychic mind-reading type things going on, but then you've got things like, is it the Akashic Record? Is, is there truth to the fact that everything that happens is stored somewhere? Basically think about it as like a intergalactic cloud where things are uploaded and recorded do they have access to that or is it true reincarnation where they've actually lived that previous life and come back to this life with that knowledge but the fascinating case in almost all of these probably 95 percent is that by the time they're around five or six most of them start forgetting about their previous life there are cases where they remember it but it's quite it's quite uncommon it's it's pretty rare wonder any particular reason why it's five and six or that age to start forgetting? I, from what I understand is that 
by that age in life, a few things are happening. Number one, a lot of times those kids are kind of torn between their past life and their current life. So, for example, if in the last life, like this lady in Burma, she was a man and now she's a woman. So you start getting kind of pulled because you can't act like a boy once you start going through puberty and everything else. Well, you can now, but I mean back then you were expected to get married and have kids and everything else. And you've got that. They kind of want to move on with their life. And that James uh, uh, Leininger case that you were talking about in Louisiana, you saw when they went and asked him and they started asking him questions. Oh, no, sorry, it wasn't him. It was the it was the one where they went to Hollywood. Um, Marty Martin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Remember how he, he couldn't remember. He couldn't remember because by the time they had him on there, he's like 15. But when I did my episode about him, that was, again, when he was like five, six, seven. And they all say that they do remember little bits, but generally the memories start to fade. So the other thing that I would say is, because there's there's a, about that time for most of us, that's when we start forgetting our early life, like being a baby, crawling, all of that. Like most people now, like me, I can't remember back that far. I can remember a few traumatic things that happened, but I can't remember back to when I was one or two in general, outside of a few really certain things that happened, like if I got hurt. And so that's what they're saying is that this could also be where those memories of the previous life kind of get cut off as well, is about that same developmental age. All right. I think it's like a incarnation that comes from Buddhism. Yeah. Or the Hinduism. Yeah, but you're, you're right, both. Um, kind of what most people think of reincarnation, though, is more from Buddhism, like the kind of classical reincarnation. And that's the whole wheel of life and karma and dharma. And basically yeah. what you do in this life, you'll either be rewarded or punished for in the next life. Yeah, and like the whole <clears throat> whole goal is like try to like get out of cycle. That's it. Break, break, break the cycle, exactly. Always climbing to nirvana. Well, if you... I mean, if if you believe what they say, you're you're right. I mean, it's it's literally harder to achieve nirvana than it is if you believe the 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 Christian biblical number of 144,000 or whatever it is in heaven. It's harder to uh, achieve nirvana than it is to get into heaven um, if you go by the numbers. Yeah. Well, there's only a handful of, from what I understand anyway, of Buddhism. There's only a handful of people who have ever done it. Well, that's 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 it. It's pretty much Buddha and a handful of others, I think. But again, I think a lot of it is it's like, how would you prove it even if you did? Um, yeah. It's it's how a very you, sub subjective thing, yeah. Like, how do you like prove a taste? Like how like your I experience a something in case something somewhere else. Yeah, that's no, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, there there was a quote I saw the other day which was so true, and it basically said that we don't see the world. We yeah. see we 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 see what our senses tell us, which is one hundred percent true. We don't see what the real world is like. We 
basically see what our eyes allow us to do. We smell what our noses allow us to do. But all it takes is, you know, if you're around a dog and you see the dog sniffing, you're like, I don't smell anything. And then maybe a minute later or something, a car drives by or a pizza van or something and the dog's smelling it. But, you know, they've obviously sensed it long before we have. Yeah. Like when you when you have dogs and you go to a friend's house who has a dog and like they're smelling you. Yep. Dog smelling you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and um, then you've got all these cases of dogs and the paranormal, man. Um, yeah. Like, uh, I'm just like, what are they called? Like, Hounds of Hell, Hellhounds. Oh, just just even more so you, your normal everyday dogs reacting to things that we can't see. Growling, barking at corners of the room, getting their hair up and everything else over something that quote-unquote isn't there. We, we can't see it, but they're obviously seeing or sensing something that we can't perceive with, with our senses. And that's the kind of stuff, honestly, that scares me more than it not really scares me but it it, it does creep me out because again it just comes back to that that we've talked about before maybe maybe we're all being watched all the time maybe there's like eight dimensional beings or something here right now right next to us and, and we can't perceive it in any way shape or form but maybe animals might not be able to work out everything but maybe they just sense at a certain level that something's wrong there's something there that shouldn't be yeah that's creepy i don't like that there's all kinds of stories with with dogs in particular and i i think why you get these stories with dogs is that back in the old days dogs were much more of a work animal than say a cat because you would take dogs hunting you would use dogs for protection and there's all these stories about dogs being like freaked out to go into certain houses or in the woods um and depending on the area you know whatever the cryptid may be whether it was bigfoot or sasquatch or it was uh dogman or whatever it may be but there's just all these stories about dogs just literally fighting their owners not wanting anything to do with a certain area or location and i mean it would make sense again if they're picking up the odor because we've heard these stories about uh swamp apes and all these uh, skunk, sorry, skunk apes, and and some of these other creatures. Maybe maybe that's just what it is. They they get a whiff of it, and they're like, I don't know what it is, but it smells, it smells uh, like something I don't want to tangle with, and I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it's like a listening. Well, there was a, there was a story I just covered very briefly on one of my very very early episodes, but it's one of the most famous Bigfoot stories of the past. And that was the Ape Canyon case in Washington oh, yeah. State. Yeah. And that and and basically that's what he did was he turned the dogs loose on this Sasquatch or Bigfoot and supposedly shot it and it fell off the cliff and then that night um their cabin got surrounded by pissed off um you know oh, man. Sasquatch, yeah, throwing rocks at them and everything else. And um I've had a lot of people see I'm I'm from the Pacific Northwest originally. And people there are pretty, they're pretty serious. And, and what I mean by that is the general person there will not say, oh, yeah, I believe in Sasquatch or I believe in any of these other cryptids. Most of them will just say uh, all these people are nuts or they're doing drugs or whatever. Uh, I don't know about now, but traditionally it's 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 not something that they're very open to. But uh, 
yeah, I don't think those guys were lying. At least what whatever they encountered, whether it was Sasquatch or something else, they were scared for their life. The newspaper account, everything else, these were adults. They were outdoorsmen and hunters as well as prospectors. They knew what they were doing. And I'm sorry, but me personally, I just don't believe that you hear these stories like, oh, it was some... Um, it was some Boy Scouts out there throwing throwing rocks at them. Well, guess what? As soon as, as – if I'm out there playing a prank and I'm throwing rocks at this cabin and there's guys, as soon as they start shooting at me, you know, Tanner, I'm probably yeah. going to go away, wouldn't you? You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not just going to sit there for six hours throwing rocks at them and let them shoot at you willy-nilly. You know, it's not it's not like they had a BB gun, all right? Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 I get what people say and – I know that you can't necessarily change people's minds, but there'll always be the people who will say, well, I want to see it myself, or I want to see it in the lab. And I'm just a firm believer that not everything in this world or in this universe can be measured with a scale or cut open with a scalpel. And yeah, I'm not saying we should believe in everything like that, but we should just have open minds to it. That's all. Yeah, I think there are definitely people... I can't say for certain what they're experiencing, but they're definitely having these experiences for certain what that is. is well, when I was in just, school, go ahead. Yeah, most likely it's probably just a bipedal ape that lives in the Pacific Northwest. And well, you know, I'll find it and we're going to do some new stories on it for a month or two. Then it becomes some like textbook normal thing like gorillas that you seem to think about how gorillas were just been discovered in the 19th century or early 20th yeah. century no the 19th century you're right it's just be like that like i'm not going to think about it well i will tell you this the tribes in the pacific northwest and in southern canada they say that this goes back as long as they've been in those areas and when you get into places like Alaska, there are areas there where the again the native people will tell you you don't go there. And if you say why, they go, well, that's where Sasquatch lives. And there are things I've seen them. I've not been there, but I've seen it. I've seen photos. I've seen video of it of trees like a twenty foot tall tree ripped out of the ground with its roots sticking up in the air, and the tree hammered into the ground like you did it with a pile driver. Yeah. And there's no road. There's no way to get in there with machinery to do something like that. And I I don't even think a guy like the mountain from, you know, that the, the guy from Iceland, I think it is, who's the world's strongest man. They're not strong enough to do that. I mean, you can't rip a tree out by its roots that big and then turn around and basically pile drive it into the ground. And again, I've seen this stuff. So... Okay, well, it's a hoax. Well, again, how are they doing it? Because you, you've got to get in there with some kind of heavy equipment to do it, and there'd be tracks and everything else. Well, what are you doing it by helicopter? I mean, I don't know. Again, I, I don't necessarily know what all the wild man sightings all over the world are, but I can tell you this. Like I say, for thousands of years, through almost every culture, they all talk about wild man things like this that are out there i mean it goes back 
when you go back and you study the the uh, epic of Gilgamesh, all right, back in Mesopotamian times, which is it's famous to a lot of people because they basically talk about the flood in that. Well, he talks about a wild man in in that epic. I can't remember his name off the top of my head of the, of the creature, but it's it's like this stuff goes back so long in history, and it's like the most of the tribes in the Pacific Northwest believe that Sasquatch uh, are like or they the old in the olden days they used to basically teach them that they were another tribe of humans, but they were just really feral. Now I I don't know talking about somebody who's seven eight feet tall. And 500 pounds, I don't know. Uh, but that's what the tradition said. Now, I will tell you this. Native Americans, very much like people in East Asia, they don't look at the world like the Western world. So we're taught that in the Western world, we're taught that everything around us is the physical world because that's what we can see and touch. I can touch the desk in front of me. I can touch the microphone. If I can't touch it, it, it doesn't exist. But Native Americans and East Asians and Southeast Asians, Indians and everything else, they believe that the spirit world is here interacting with us right now. So it doesn't matter if it's spiritual or it's physical, it's still here and we still can interact with it. And that's one of the major differences in the thought patterns is that they don't need, in their mind, they don't need to be able to weigh it or measure it. They're sure it's there, and their ancestors were sure it was there. Definitely. I was reading this, uh, this book on the Wendigo, and like talking about how important like the spiritual world is in their American cultures. And the Wendigo's like a really bad spirit to get messing with in those cultures. Oh yeah, Wendigos. Uh, there's all kinds. There's the flesh skin eaters, there's, yeah, skinwalkers. And the, the thing is that if you go back to, again, what we call Western civilization, if you go back to our ancestors, our ancestors were the same way. The Celts, the Picts, the, if you go back before the Romans, the Etruscans and everything else, they had these beliefs as well. It's just that we're as a group, we're, we're further removed from it. But you go back even to the 1800s, and most people in the U.S. and Europe would believe in a lot of things that now science says, oh, no, it's impossible, it doesn't exist. But also back then, when Jules Verne wrote uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in the 1800s, the scientists basically laughed at him and said, oh, well, even though there's all these traditions and stories about the Kraken or giant squids, they don't exist. And then by the late 1800s, they've got parts of them washing up everywhere, and they basically had to say, oh, we're wrong. But they didn't want to. <laughs> they didn't want to say it, but once you've got enough evidence, they had to basically say, okay, well, we got this wrong. Yeah. Uh, You see that one thing on Instagram, like a, or somewhere, it's giant, like, um, or something from in that Mariana Trench. They're like 20 feet long and they only find them like juveniles. What's it called? Thunderbirds? No, th no, they're like in underwater. They're like jellyfish or something. 
or octopus? Oh, yeah, well, the giant and colossal squids, the biggest ones that they've, like, basically said for sure we know are, I think, about 30 to 40 feet long. But they've found carcasses that were basically rotting that they're sure were 60, 70, 80 feet long. I mean, there's a famous case in Fort Lauderdale, I think, in about 1895 or 1897, and they basically called it the Fort Lauderdale Sea Monster. And in retrospect, when they go back and they look at photos of it and all of that, they're pretty certain that it was a giant octopus. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that things that, like, giant snakes, giant squid, uh, giant octopus, especially in the ocean, where the ocean is less explored than the surface of the moon, then I've got no doubt that there are things down there like that that we're going to... You know, like I say, in another 50 or 100 years, people will look back and go, oh, those idiots, they didn't believe any of this, and it did exist. Yeah. Sure, we're all I need to do is find, like, a kind of alloy that would handle the pressure, the water pressure. I need a machine under there. Well, you see, I mean, common sense would say that you would think what could survive at that depth? But they've proven that giant squid are constantly hanging around down there like 10,000 feet and deeper. And you would think that even though their bodies are quite malleable, you would still think that that kind of pressure would not allow them to live, but they do. And I also, I worked in the fishing industry here for five years and we had deep water trawlers and I saw stuff come in, man, that like, if I told you, if I sent you a photo, or a lot of people would go, oh, that's fake, that's Photoshop. But unless you've actually seen it and you know it's there in front of you, I mean, there's all kinds of weird sharks and like those lanternfish and all kinds of things. I saw all kinds of really rare things that at the time it was just part of the job. But now you, you look back and you go, oh, that was kind of cool because most people will never get anywhere close to anything like that. Yeah. What is what is a lanternfish like out of the water? Uh, they, I mean, they do have a bony um, structure, but a lot of those creatures, when they're actually out of the water, uh, even though they've got bones in that and they've got a skeleton, they're they're a bit um, saggy. They're they're a yeah. bit blobbish type, yeah, and, and that's how they kind of look. Um, especially the longer they're out of the water, obviously they just start dehydrating. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you can definitely tell it's, it's a lanternfish, what we would, what we would, uh, look at with the little, the little, uh, like the bait overhang or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. yeah, you can see all of that, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely one of those things where some of these big creatures, when they rot, I can see why some people mistake them for something else. I think like a basking shark, if the way that it rots, it can look like kind of like the classic plesiosaur or the sea monster when it decomposes especially if it's been uh floating on the surface for a while and things are eating it uh, it it and like i say i always i'm always open to things like that if somebody can show me something plausible or show me another photo and say this is what one of these looks like and this is what this photo looks like if i see something like that yeah you know it's just like ufos there have been multiple ufo cases this year that people have been talking about and I'll see somebody present evidence and I'll go, yeah, they're right. This is, 
it's not quote unquote a hoax, but it's mistaken identity. It's not anything out of the ordinary. It's just it's it's just a trick of the light or whatever. Wait, yeah, it's been like the I think it's like the most convincing UFO uh, experience someone's had. Oh, well, people, yeah, people have come along and tried to shoot holes in a lot of these. But to me, I I, I mean, there's like the way that I look at all of this stuff. So whether it's cryptids or UFOs or ghosts, I tend to look at things in tiers. So you might have like, like we were talking about before, like celebrities, like you got A grade and then you got B grade and you got C grade. And in that A grade, I would look at things like Rendlesham Forest in the UK. I would yeah. look at the Betty and Barney Hill case. Mm-hmm. I'd look at the Lonnie Zamora case. I'd look at the Travis Walton case. A lot of things like that. And see, even what happens so often is that at the time, people will say, oh, well, there's only one witness. But the reality is later you find out there were other witnesses and they didn't want to get embarrassed and treated like an idiot or called an alcoholic or something else uh that's what happened in the Lonnie Zamora case for years I mean growing up it was always oh he only saw he's the only one who saw the UFO and it's and when I researched the case and I did my episode on it it turns out that the other sheriff's deputy who turned up saw it as well and he just didn't want to admit it and so I I think that there are so many of these cases that there are cases, of course, that are hoaxes, and there are cases where people do it for money. But so many of these cases like this that are pretty reputable, it's like, what do they gain from it? I mean, most of these people, like Lonnie Zamora, by the time he he, he passed away, he was so tired of talking about it. Anytime anyone would approach him for an interview, he'd just say, look, it's already out there. Like, I've been interviewed. It's It's all out there. Go and look at the old stuff. I've got nothing more to add. So if that was a guy looking to get famous... It doesn't sound right to me. Like, um, and, and you've got so many other cases like that. But but those those type of cases, and then the one that you were talking about that I just covered not too long ago, the Val Johnson case. Um, again, UFO means exactly that UFO. So I don't know that his car got hit by an alien spacecraft, but it got hit by something that so far has not been suitably explained to me and to most people. I. Yeah, in your episode, like I, it sounded like they, they really don't, know, they don't know what happened to this car. Like no. they have, they don't. Well, that that's it. I mean, his boss, who was the sheriff, he did an investigation, couldn't find out what what did it. Had experts in from Ford, had experts in from uh, Honeywell Labs, and then at the end of it, he basically said, "There's no conclusion because we don't know what did it." But I can tell you this much, it wasn't what some of these other, you know, some of these quote-unquote experts have said, oh, you hit a bird, yeah, okay, well, where's the blood, genius? Like, the the car is sitting there in the museum now, and you can see the car. There's no blood, there's no feathers, I mean, look, I've hit, I lived in the Midwest, I've, I've hit all kinds of things, and his car didn't look like anything I've ever seen. If, for example, if somebody threw a rock at his car, there's no way that it would have impacted the glass like that and not like smashed all the way through the windshield and and caused damage over the amount of area on the windshield that it did. And it's yeah. like the uh the expert said from Ford, he said it it was almost like that windshield was being pushed out and pushed in at the same time. 
from two different forces. It's like, what could do that, man? It's crazy. Yeah. I don't, I can't even think of like an explanation. It's like even to, like, let's say two, let's, uh, like two aliens somehow playing to do it same time, pushing fish out at the same time. Is that, is that moment and or do it so fast that I'm noticeable to him. Well, I can't, like, I'm trying to think of a possible, like, explanation, like, imagining how they could do it, even with, like, imagining it. Well, obviously I wasn't there, and I haven't seen his car in person, but do I believe, me personally, that is, do I believe that he had a run-in with, like, an alien spacecraft? No, I don't. I believe that it could have been, could have it been a probe or something? Yes. But all of the damage and everything else to my eye would state that whatever it is that he had a run-in with was was much smaller than like your prototypical flying saucer being 30 feet across or whatever. So do I believe he encountered something he couldn't explain? Oh, yeah, like no doubt. Um, Could have it been a secret test vehicle? Well, that makes no sense to me. Because that's why you've got places like Area 51. That's why you've got places like Guam and Hawaii in the middle of the ocean. That's why you test stuff like that there. You don't test it in rural Minnesota with all kinds of witnesses around. It could have been a lot of things, but I don't believe it was a meteor. I don't believe it was so many of the other things that have been uh, put forward. Like the, the kind of hot topic one is... Oh, it was ball lightning. Yeah, it was ball lightning. No, it wasn't ball lightning, in in my humble opinion, because I've had experiences with ball lightning. And where's the burn marks? Where's any scorch marks or any damage to the car? On top of that, if you've got a highly charged thing like that, ball lightning or whatever it is, or plasma, if it's got any kind of electrical charge, it would have done things to the car that they would have been able to pick up, i.e. magnetism or other things. It would have... The heat of ball lightning, the reality is it would have left some kind of burning or something visible. I'm not saying it would melt the whole car, but they check that. You know, They check for carbonization. They check for heating. The paint isn't scorched. The, the glass isn't scorched. The, the, car, the, the car tires aren't burnt. You know, Yeah, they are from him skidding, but yeah, it, it is, it's, it's a really fascinating case, and you already know this, but those are the ones that I keep trying to bring forward because so many people don't know about them. And I didn't realize at first how fortunate that I am that I've been exposed to these things. And I often thought, oh, well, everyone knows about this. And as I started doing the program, it's like, no, hardly anyone knows about these older cases. Yeah. Oh, God. It's funny how, like, UFO sightings, like, the shape of UFOs, like, keeps changing. Like, in the early, like, 19, early... Like late 1800s, early 1900s, they were more like cigar shapes, and they start getting more like saucers in the 50s and 60s. Okay, so here's a question for you. Yeah. The the Nimitz or the Go Fest or whatever. Yeah. What was that shape like? Yeah. What did they keep saying about it? What did they call the one video? The Tic Tac, right? Yeah, Tic Tac. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
to go from a Tic Tac to a cigar isn't very far, is it? No. And the other thing is, if you take a UFO, if you take a flying saucer, and you're looking at it side on, if it doesn't have the dome on top and you're looking at it side on, it would look like a Tic Tac or it would look like a cigar shape as well because yeah. you're not seeing... Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. And to that. this day, yeah, and to this day, man, there's still sightings of cigar-shaped UFOs. It's probably the cigar-shaped UFO is probably the longest sighted out of anything. I mean, if you believe some of the old stories and some of the paintings and that, that there were flying saucers way back in the day, hey, maybe it's true. But, I mean, at least in in basically from the mid to late 1800s on, as you're, as you're saying, airships are cigar-shaped. And there have been cigar-shaped craft all the way up until now. I mean, I can go on the UFO database and I'll just about guarantee you that within the last month there would have been a cigar-shaped UFO somewhere sighted. Yeah, so like it's a it's, it's like isolate view of the entire ship shape of the ship. Maybe it's like more like a side. You know, seeing the round at top and about our bottom of the ship well, it's profile. Well, the other thing is, if these craft are actually propelled by anti gravity, then you're going to have an anti gravity field, which also distorts what it looks like to you. Um, so, I mean, who knows what it's shaped like, and maybe that's just the bending of the gravity that's affecting the the uh, the viewpoint of it, because a lot of times with these craft, and especially with flying saucers over the years, people will say they just look kind of fuzzy or a little bit out of focus, and again, if you talk to like theoretical physicists in that, what a lot of them will say is that that's kind of like a hallmark of something that is warping space around it and warping light because it's basically like the way that I had it explained that made the most sense to me. It's like you're not actually being propelled through space. So it's like you're, you're creating a, a area, in, if that makes sense. I mean that and and again I've never been on a flying saucer but Hello my name is Tanner here to tell you about Balanzi, London. Balanzi is a premium jewelry brand founded by Joseph and Dijon. They are online retail based in the UK with floors from over 100 different countries worldwide. Their vision is forging a new path in fashion. Accessories by marrying industry expertise, respect for design and quality, and a relentless quest for innovation. Their pieces are carefully made with the highest quality gold sterling silver and stainless steel material. We put design at our core and focus on cutting through the noisy, low-quality space that fast fashion has brought. One of our pieces is saying, without speaking, that you symbolize self-belief. You know who you are. On a personal note, they would like to thank everyone who has supported the brand and has been part of, our, of their journey. Customers are essential to their operation and it is 
with you in mind that they aim to be the best at what we, they do. Thank you for your support. If there's everything you'd like to discuss, please email them at hello at Balanzi.com. And Balanzi was so wonderful to give our listeners a deal. Here's what you got to do. Go to Balanzi, go to CozyCrypto.com forward slash brands and click on the Balanzi logo. It's the black diamond. Or simply go to Balanzi.com. Either way is fine. But when you decide what you want to buy, just go to the discount code section. And there you'll find you'll have to enter this code. The code is Cozy Drip 25 to save 25% off your order at Balanzi. Again, that is Cozy Drip 25. Or 25% off your order at Balanzi.com. So do you... That was a good question. Yeah, well, again, if, if you were, think about... If we're just seeing like our idea of a UFO, it actually looks so different. Well, yeah. Lines, really. yeah. Well, well, yeah, it could very well be that. It could be that we're interpreting it in a way that our senses allow us to understand it because I don't know every obviously I don't know every UFO case that's ever happened but you don't hear of cases of like very rarely do you hear cases of like uh and the UFO came out of a wall at my house it's it's almost like there is a level at which we understand the universe and like you say they kind of adhere to that because Again, if you go back to the old days, during the 1800s, during those airship sightings, oftentimes when people would go to see what was going on, they'd see the airship had landed in the uh, in a field. They would see crew members wearing like overalls, and they would say to them, "Oh, who are you? What are you doing?" And they would say something like, "Oh, well, we work for this scientist, and we're going, you know, we're flying to bomb Cuba." Things like that. I mean, it wasn't we're from Mars or or we're from Zeta Reticuli. It was that we're from Earth and we're normal people and we work for scientists. And in fact, I mean, they would generally ask, hey, is it okay if we take some water out of the lake or whatever for a ship? And I mean, there are even cases in the 40s and 50s of flying saucers being seen by people and then them asking the witness, hey, is it okay if we take some water out of that lake? Like, it... it just what I'm well, saying is that it, it's it's just the narrative does seem to shift like you say and it's almost like over time if you believe that kind of whole trickster element it's it's always like they're just one little further step ahead of us so you know for years we always thought Martians and people would say oh aliens you know ones that I've seen they say they come from Mars or they come from Venus and then it was from other star systems and it's always just a little bit further out than what we can actually prove. Like, back in the 1800s, we couldn't prove if there was life on Mars or Venus or wherever. And now we can't prove that there's life out there in Zeta Reticuli or wherever. And if we get there and there's nothing there, maybe it'll be we're interdimensional or, you know. It, so I, I, I get what you're saying. It's like it's always that moving, that moving target, so to speak. 
Yeah. You hear about that? They found some like moles on Mars or something. Mushrooms. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's that's what they they believe it is. So I covered that on the last episode. I this the, they, there was a photo and it was like before and after photos. But again, look, man, when when I was in school, we were told this is it. There's nothing proven past our solar system. There's we don't know of any other planets. There's you know we don't know of any other life out there. It's it's highly unlikely that there is. And now, if you ask the average man in the street, if you said in the universe is there anywhere else with intelligent life, probably half the people are going to go yeah. And then if you say with like life full stop any life, I think almost everyone would say yeah. But that was it. It's only like 30 years ago, 35 years ago in school, we were being taught that there's not even any planets, let alone life. Yeah, they're planets. Yeah, we we were... They told us... Yeah, they, they told us... I mean, yeah, uh, don't get me wrong. It's not like we're working with, like, cutting-edge physicists and everything else. But in school, we were told... There's no proof of any planets outside of our solar system, and that's yeah. that's the truth. At that time, there was no proof, um, and they basically said that anything like that is just sci-fi. Um, and well, I mean, they were technically right because we hadn't proven it. Yeah. Hell, I, I mean, at least there could be the very, 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 very small chance that there's only, there's only life with plant with a plant. I need or the only plant with life. But just to be the only other plants in just the plants in the solar system being the only other plants in the universe, that's insane. Think about not being the case. Well, again though, too, I mean, in the last thirty five to forty years I would also argue that people's perceptions of how large the universe are would have yeah. massively changed as well. Because I, I don't remember exactly what they were talking about in school, but I know they weren't saying it was 14 billion years old. I know that. <laughs> and, and that it was 14 billion light years or whatever it was across. Um, so, yeah. And I don't fault them. I mean, that is what is supposed to be the thing about science, is that we're, everything is proposed until it's proven. But the problem is, if you propose anything that, kind of upsets the apple cart people have a vested interest in keeping things the way they are yeah like that's, that's ego that's like personal ego of people it's not really fault science science is more like a tool and like a philosophy oh yeah ego money yep. and yeah and they again I think a lot of it too is that certain change they understand and they're on board with but i think that any really kind of fundamental change that's going to shift the entire viewpoint they're totally against it because obviously it's going to rewrite everything and they don't they don't want that happening um and when i say they i mean academia in general i mean there are scientists and and types out there who are very open but i just mean as a group the universities and all of that, I mean, they, they don't want us. 
and it's really like it will literally i do believe i don't even think if let's say in in june this stuff comes out and let's say they wheel a dead body out in front of the cameras and they say this is an alien body i still don't think that like a lot of academia and that are going to accept it until like aliens actually land and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that they came from somewhere else because yeah there is just so much so so much to lose for them in their mind if you have to rewrite everything so yeah I, I think that even if they could wheel out a body and say this is the body and we've done studies on it and we know that it's not from earth and everything else like i say i still think a lot of institutions would be like oh well that's not proven and that's just a hypothesis and yeah, uh, I think it will literally take that moment where the UFO lands on the White House lawn and shows us all. And then even then, I'm sure there'll be people telling us it's a hologram or they're fallen angels yeah. or whatever else. They're from the inner Earth. Oh, yeah. I wonder if I'll if I ever get UFO and they ask me to come on the ship if I would. I might. I don't know. The older you get, <laughs> the older you get, the harder it is to say yes just because you got more to lose and and what i mean yeah. is you've been alive on this on this planet for longer you've got attach, attachments to people and places and things when i was younger i i most definitely would have said yes now i would have to think about it uh if it meant if there was no guarantee that i was coming back i mean if they said to me oh we'll just pop you out to pluto and back yeah i'd go but if there was no guarantee that I was going to come back or I didn't know how long it was going to be, I don't know if I'd do it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Because no. the other thing is, like, I get that people would say, well, you have to do it for humanity. Well, there's people who have claimed that they've done it and everybody calls them insane. So yeah. it's not like me going is going to make a difference. It's not like everybody's going to go, oh, JT is this saint and... You know, we, we trust everything he says. I mean, so uh, I, I don't think me going or not going would, would definitely change that narrative. Yeah, you probably have to go with a buddy. Uh, well, yeah, or or be able to record it. But yeah. again, in the world we're living in, and I don't fault people for this because it is becoming very difficult to tell truth from fiction. Yeah. But in the world we're living in, even if you had video footage and everything else... You're going to have people saying it was faked, and uh, again, it's just it's just so hard unless people see it with their own two eyes now to prove any of this. And that's why I liked the old film cameras, because it was on film. And you could examine the film, you could examine the negatives, and you could say, this has been doctored, this has been double exposed. Now with digital stuff, man, you can create anything. And there have been some UFO videos that came out a while back and there was a guy I still have him on my list in that but he just always seemed to be busy so I try and leave him alone but there were a couple times I'd find video footage someone would send of a UFO or whatever I'd send it to him because he's the expert he makes videos I don't and he'd look at it and he'd say well if this is faked I think it's really hard to do it would cost a lot of money and he would take the time to explain it to me but I just didn't want to bother him with every video that came along you know yeah but that's a big problem with uh, <clears throat> cryptozoology. Like people faking stuff. And like put it on YouTube. They're shifted with a, a bull crap. Well, 
the the problem for me is that because people treat it as such a dubious thing let's say you told me tomorrow i went out in the woods near my home and you saw a new cryptid whatever it is eight foot tall bird with a lizard's tail i mean whatever it is just something new yeah. now, everybody will laugh at you and snicker about that but if i went to everyone and said Oh, you know, me and Tanner were having beers, and he told me he faked this footage. They act like that is absolute proof that it's faked and that it's a hoax. And that's the annoying bit to me is that conjecture, if you want to disprove something, oh, that's fine, that counts. Because some, and, and it could be anything. It could be somebody's old friend or old business acquaintance or, or uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, and they've got a, a, a grudge against them. And they want to bring them down. And they say, oh, well, they told me this was a fake. And so often, the media just takes that and runs with it. And they say, oh, there's proof. It's like, no, it's not. It's just what someone said. There's no more proof than what the, per you know, like I say, I if, if I said right now I'm sitting here and aliens landed in the yard and came in and talked to me, well, everybody would say I'm crazy. But if... Yeah, but that but that's it. But like if you got footage of something and I said, Oh well Connor told me that he faked it well everybody or sorry, Tanner, then everybody would say, Oh yeah, no, that's right, because it must be fake. Like Yeah, that's where it's not really a good default position to be at. Is it it's No. It's not a default it, position. It's like a saying it's fake. Not that it's not that you believe it. It's yeah. that double standard. It, yeah. It, like you've heard me go on about it on the show before, that I've got no problem with true skeptics who have a skeptical mind because you've heard me go on and on about Charles Fort. Well, that's yeah. what Charles Fort believed. He believed that we should look at everything with a skeptical mind as a true skeptic and go into it without any pre preconceived notions that it's true or it's not true. Look at it on the on the basis of the evidence but it's the debunkers and it's that debunking mindset that i don't like what you're saying so i'm going to go in to prove you're wrong no matter what and i i get because there are some pretty big people out there that do that and they'll say oh i'm a scientist or i'm open-minded but they're not really open-minded because they've already decided it's impossible and they they don't want to they don't want to admit any reality other than it's all BS. And there are people on the other side of the spectrum, of course. But the thing is, the media doesn't listen to the people on the other side. They just listen to the quote-unquote experts that say, oh, well, it's impossible that there's ever been an alien that's visited the planet Earth because we would know. And again, so where's your time machine? Were you here three billion years ago? Were you here a hundred thousand years ago to see? But oh no, but you said and and you're a professor so you you know obviously whatever you say is right. It's like no, come on, man. Yeah. It's very hard. I think why did it can't again it's ego for thinking, oh, I don't know. I never seen I haven't read anything. So it obviously can't be true. That's what they're thinking in their heads or what their subconscious is saying. Oh yeah. No, that that's absolutely right. They they either 
don't want to admit it or they're 100% already preconceived convinced that it's impossible. So that's it. They, It's not even if, – if you come out – okay, so a very controversial subject, right? Flat Earth. Yeah. If they come out and they go, it, if, if you come out and you and they go to a flat Earth person, you're wrong and this is why. That's one thing. But when they just come out and go, "What you think the world's flat? Oh, what have you been smoking?" That's two completely different ways to talk to someone. And when you talk down to someone like that, of course, yeah, you may be held up by the media as, "Oh, well, he would know. He's a scientist." But to me, it's just condescending. Now, I don't necessarily have to agree with any other person's theories, but like I say, I mean, I'll always be respectful to them. And even if I disagree, I'll just say, well, I, I don't agree. Sorry, but I just don't think so. But you don't have to treat them like a child. And I guess that over the years as they've controlled the narrative about UFOs, about cryptids, about whatever else, they always do it with that kind of smirk, that joke, that la Oh, well, I wonder what they were drinking when they saw that thing in the woods. And, yeah, and, and to me, I think this is why it is such a polarizing field, because this is why I get so annoyed with experts who treat people like that. The people who really genuinely say, let's look at the data, let's see how improbable this is, whatever. That's fine. Like I say, let's look at the data. Just treat me like an adult. Don't look down at me. Don't tell me I'm inbred or psychotic or alcoholic just because you don't agree with what I've said. Yeah. But that's <laughs> debunking 101. I mean, you, Philip Class did it for years. It's been proven that he would uh, he would attack people instead of attacking their position or attacking the subject. So if, for example, if, if you came on and said, oh, I believe Bigfoot's real, blah, 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 he wouldn't say... Oh, well, it's ridiculous to think Bigfoot's real. They go, can you believe this guy, Tanner? You know, he's from Tennessee. And you see what I'm saying? Like he would attack yeah. you, the individual, not your stance. And that is like debunking 101. And a lot of that comes from the CIA. CIA. Like uh, disinformation. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forget. I need to refresh my memory on... How CIA started? I think they started World the C the CIA used to be the OSI, which was the Office for Strategic Intelligence. And in World War II, that's why you don't hear about the CIA in World War II because they were the OSI basically. And then after World War II, in the early 50s, they basically restructured the way that the government departments were handled because of the Cold War. And that was one of the things at that time, basically the FBI was meant to deal with everything on American shores and the CIA was only meant to be overseas. And that's why every time you hear about the CIA investigating people in the U.S., they're actually breaking the law because they're not meant to be. This is why the CIA should never be wiretapping or monitoring yeah. anyone in the U.S., that should be done by the FBI, but they do it anyway. And then the NSA just monitors everyone everywhere. So, is the NSA like a third-party thing? No, no. And the NSA is a government agency as well. Uh, 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, yeah. Well, I remember when the Patriot Act got rammed through. And even then, I mean, I was in my early 20s. And I knew what was going on. It was obvious. And it's been going on for a long time. It's the oldest trick in the book. When they want yeah. to ram something through really controversial, they'll always do it right around Christmas because they know people aren't paying attention. And when the Federal Reserve Act got rammed through in 1913, they did it just before Christmas. The same thing. There were a lot of senators and and um, congressmen had already left to go home for Christmas. They got the votes. They rammed it through Congress. And 10 years later, the guy who basically was for it, he said if he would have realized what was in the act and what was going to happen, he would have he would have been against it like 100%. But they got it through. It's the same thing that happened with the Patriot Act. I've been trying to say a little bit more. Or paying a little more attention to like bills and stuff in my yeah. state. Sometimes like they get to tagging extra stuff on there. Yep. Yeah, that's something that should not be allowed, but they've been doing it for quite a long time now it's called a rider and that's basically it they what they'll do is they'll attach something to a really popular bill so you might have something like oh you'll have a bill that says oh government aid for homeless veterans well who's going to be against that like almost everyone's going to be for that and then they tack on something else onto it like you say they just tack a rider onto it and it doesn't unless you you've got the time to sit there and go through all these bills and read them I don't fault people for these things, but at the same time, I know everybody's busy living their life and trying to do things, but there's a very old saying, and that saying is, you get the government that you deserve as a nation, and it's not just the U.S., it's all over the world, and that is the reality of it, is that the thing that people forget is, at the end of the day, who watches the watchers? So the government is watching us. Who watches the government? And the answer is no one. The government watches themselves. And like I say, it's not just the U.S. And it's it's been going on long before the current cycle of things in the U.S. I mean, it happened in England, in Great Britain. Obviously, it happened in Germany. And it's it's happened over time through history. It's just we're now getting to a point in time where it's so much easier to monitor what everyone's doing. You've got, like in China, for example, I didn't read the article, but I just saw the uh, I, I saw the byline, and it basically said there was some kind of Apple vulnerability that the Chinese used to spy on those uh, Uyghur or whatever the ethnic group is that they've got the, the camps for. And they basically said that they, they knew about that um, issue with iOS software, and they basically used it to monitor and spy on them so they would know where they were when they went to round them up. Uh, it's like a, a U, like a U-Y-G-H-U-R-S. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a big controversy right now. 
But again, all it takes is one news cycle. So it wasn't too long ago that's what everyone was talking about. And that took over from what was going on in Burma, Myanmar. And that took over from what was going on in Hong Kong. And now the latest thing is uh, Israel and, and the Palestinians and their ongoing uh, three or 4,000-year-old love fest that's going on in the Middle East. So there's that's the thing is that a lot of these governments, and I don't just mean China, <laughs> I mean any government, whether it's the French government, the, the British government, Russia, U.S., all they all, they realize most of the time all they have to do is make it to the next news cycle, to the next story that's basically going to take that story out of the news. It could be a, a hurricane hitting somewhere. It could be a flood. It could be another government doing something. But that's all they wait for is that news cycle to kind of move it, move things along. And so a lot of times in the meanwhile, things are just going on in the background. So for right now, I mean, for example, we've already heard rumblings about China testing Joe Biden to see what his reactions are going to be. But you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the Chinese start doing military exercises off of the coast close to Taiwan. I mean, they've mm-hmm. already they've already popped up on those reefs in the South China Sea near Vietnam and basically said these are ours. And they've done it with the Philippines, and both of those countries are saying, no, they're not yours. Hold on. But any country like this, and and again, is China inherently evil? No. The government of China, in their mind, whether we agree with it or not, in the Chinese government's mind, I'm sure they're trying to do what's best for their nation. It's the same thing that... um, Every country basically, yeah, you've got some despots running some of these countries, and there are times like when Mao was in charge of China, Mao looked after Mao. But it just depends on which side of the divide you're on. So during the Cold War, we were taught that Russians were evil and everything else. And guess what, man? I've met a lot of those Russians that were growing up in Russia when I was growing up in the U.S. And you know what, Tanner? They're all right. They're, they're, They're not bad people. It's Again, it's just what we're taught, and I do believe that individual humans from any country in the world, because I've known people from Iran, I've known people from North Korea, I've known people from all over, and the reality is the individual person, if you take them out of the mechanism of a nation or a state, and they're taught to ideologically hate someone else because they're on the other side of the line— if you take those two people and put them in a room together and remove the other BS, they get on fine. Yeah. <clears throat> I find that too. Because like everybody says, if you wonder like, will I be the same part? I think I'll be the same person if I was like born in the country. Maybe a little differently, like accent wise, but I think I'll be the same mindset. Or maybe not. I want to have the same experiences. Well, well, that, that's it. I mean, that, that is the reality of it, is that if we're born into a different culture, things that we may feel very strongly about now, if we were born into another culture, we may feel the exact opposite on that subject. Because like you say, it's it's down to your experiences. So, for example, me, 
I have a very strong opinion and I advocate strongly for uh, mental health awareness and supporting people who go through mental health issues because not only have I had it, but I've had family members, I've known people who have taken their own lives all the way from when I was really young. Um, so obviously I have got a deep connection to that. Now, if I never would have had that issue or if those people never would have taken their lives, the reality is I probably would not feel nearly as strong about it as, as I do. And it's things like, you know, for example, I don't know if it's still the case, but I know for a long time in France, the drinking age is like 13. So people in the U.S. who are really against underage drinking, if they were born and raised in France, maybe they would look at it completely different. Yeah. Like a good example. Yeah, like a good example. Hello, it is getting to be the summertime, and with summer, you need sunglasses. And Noah and Lily Glasses has you covered. But, probably want some cool brands, right? But here's the thing with, with Noah NNL glasses. Noah and Lily Glasses. They believe that you make the brand. Because fashion and style are what you want, and like, not about brands or labels. That's the philosophy with NNL. Thinking about life in the monoculture, they realize that nowadays it's all about exclusive brands. However, they think different. They believe you don't need exclusive brands to express who you are. It's about you. You express yourself by your style and the person behind that style. And with this mindset, and Noah and Lily Glasses has brought our listeners a great and wonderful deal. You can't miss this. All you have to do is type, click on the NL Sunglasses logo at CozyCrypto.com. You can take them to com. There, you'll pick up some shades and use code word cozy shades 80 for 80 percent off your order once again that is cozy shades 80 for 80 cents off code word shades 80 uh, uh well it goes back to the old argument of what is it nature versus nurture yeah so yeah is it is it what what we're born with inherently or is it what we're exposed to and me personally i would argue at least from what i've seen in life it's much more about the nurture it's much more about how we're raised what we're exposed to versus what we innately are born with there are things like one of the really cool things is that children of a certain age who haven't gone to school and haven't been exposed to the world at large if you take those children, no matter if they're from a village in Africa, or if they're from New York City, or they're from Moscow, or they're from Beijing, or anywhere else, you take those children in a room, and you give one of the children a candy, and don't give the other one a candy, that child will naturally 
have that candy and share it with the other child. It's when we go to school and when we start getting indoctrinated and taught some of these other things that there's a scarcity of things, you know, like you have to work to get it and everything else that people start, not everyone, but a lot of people tend to look after themselves first. But us as children in our nature, our nature is to share with our fellow people if they're suffering or we have and they don't have or in our nature. It is it's been shown time and time again in these childhood cases that you you share what you have with other people. Definitely. But that doesn't work very well in uh, in, in uh, a market economy like, uh, you know, quote unquote, democracy, capitalist economy. What's the yeah. point of yeah? That's it. What what's the point? You know, if if you don't have the latest car and you know you don't have five hundred dollars shoes and that, are you are you living your life right? Well, I can answer that for you. I can tell you that I'm living my life just fine. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with money, man. I, I I like money, but money is not the be all end all. This is thing about money and how it's like it's like a worldwide agreement that. Uh, stuff you give these like numbers and these bank accounts but there's like just numbers i don't really have any real value except for what we give it to them well well that's why i laugh when and again uh, look i i do realize that there are things that are real conspiracy theories that probably nothing's ever going to happen on that case but this is why I laugh when you'll hear people talking about, oh, well, what are they going to do to you? Well, it's not that hard to get a hold of a bank and have them misroute your money. Or, you know, when people say, oh, I've, I've got money and I've got independent wealth and everything else. Well, if you don't have it in your hand, you don't have it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the reality. And I've had so many people in the past ask me about advice, about investing. And that's what I always tell them. If you don't hold it in your hand, you don't own it. Now, does that mean that I've never owned stocks and bonds or ever had money in the bank? Of course not. But all I'm saying is if something happens and if it does hit the fan, if it's not in your hand, you don't own it. You can have all the gold certificates in the world and they're basically worth toilet paper because you don't have that gold in your hand. You don't have the silver in your hand. You might as well have a uh, you might as well have a, a certificate that says you own Buckingham Palace. It's going to be equally useful to you in the event yeah. that something does happen. <laughs> yeah, if like something happened to my bank account right now, like all my account got like wiped out, like deleted, like it wasn't there. I I can't do nothing. Like fuck. All, all, all you can do is go to the bank and say, "Oh, there's been an error." And, and like error, like what's your name? And like they'll be like, no, and ask me all the info. Well, we can't find you anywhere. So, well, I mean, yeah. well, you, you you read these every once in a while where there's an error where the bank accidentally deposits like seven million dollars into someone's account or something, and there was a case in Australia, and because it was in Australia, it's basically next door. Uh, I heard about it, and basically this guy, when he worked out, he had this money in there. He went out of his way to go and draw out all the money he could, spend all the money he could, and and he he got charged for it, even though you would say, oh, well, it's not his fault. Basically, the the court said that he knew it wasn't his, and he took advantage of it. And 
he ended up doing jail time, but he said um, it was worth it because he basically lived the high life until they caught him and, you know, like went and stayed at five-star hotels and everything else. And he just basically said, because they, they asked him, why did you do it? And he goes, well, it was the one chance in my life that I could do whatever I wanted, so I just did it. And and I said, what's the worst they're going to do to me is put me in jail, but it's not like I'm going to be executed for it or something. And they got a yeah. they they got the money back he had, but I mean he spent quite a bit. <laughs> it sounds like a great movie. Yeah, well, um, I don't know exactly, but I think isn't that catch me catch 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 me if you can? Isn't that something basically along those lines? Mm-hmm. I think it's got like Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks in it, something like that. Hold on, yeah. I'll have a look. Something too. Maybe I'm thinking of it wrong, but I'm sure that was something about, like, an embezzler or something like that. Because I know the real story that was based off of. Yeah, the film is based on the life of Frank Abagnale, who, before his 19th birthday, successfully performed cons worth millions of dollars by posing as a Pan Am World Airways pilot, a Georgia doctor, and a Louisiana Parish prosecutor. So, yeah, he basically got a bunch of money and then started running. Um and I think it was an FBI or IRS officer was chasing him all over. Amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, there have definitely been cases like that in the past of these def- different things. I mean, and the reality is, again, if you or I does it, we'll probably be treated pretty harshly. But if somebody on Wall Street does it or somebody who's connected, then they end up going to one of these country club prisons, you know. And they'll give them like yeah. 10 years, and it sounds really bad. Ooh, 10 years in prison. And then you look at the facility they're going to, and they might as well be in juvenile hall. And then they end up, you know, quietly getting let out after like three years. And meanwhile, they've made like $8 million disappear or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, you and I would probably get uh, 20, 30 years for that. I mean, burglary, what's – for burglary, I think it's like the average is like 8 to 10 years. And most burglars are going to get, what, a few thousand dollars maybe if they're lucky? But, you know, if you steal millions of dollars, it seems to be okay. I always love it when they say it's a victimless crime. It's like, really? <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure they're going to miss that money. Yeah. You ever look at the U.S. debt clock? The what? Sorry? The U.S. debt clock. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's been it's been bad for years and years. It basically, I think it was up until, it was up until Nixon... Ford or Nixon, um, basically the U.S. didn't have a debt. And it it all came down to the Cold War. And basically what has driven that so high, it's really bad now. But uh, initially what drove it up was Reagan basically trying to outspend the Soviets in the 80s because the whole idea, and they were ended up being right, was that um, they could bankrupt the Soviet Union. And that's basically what happened. The Soviet Union went broke, and so we won the Cold War. But the problem was, they never stopped with the deficit spending. And to this day, that's uh, – it's just like you and I can't – we couldn't – we couldn't live our lives the way the government lives their lives. So yes, you can have a mortgage. Yes, you can own money. But that money is secured. So if I don't pay my mortgage, then they come and take my house. But with 
the way that the Fed works and that the way that the, the debt works with the U.S. government, they just raise the ceiling and they just keep borrowing more. Now, I'm out of work. I can't just go to the bank and say, oh, I want another $50,000 on the mortgage. They're going to say, well, how are you going to pay it back? I, yeah, I can't say, oh, well, I'm good for it, but that's what the that's what the U.S. government basically does. They just go, oh, well, I'm good for it, and they just raise the debt limit because they're basically borrowing money from a corporation uh, in the Federal Reserve that is neither a reserve nor federally managed, and yeah. they just basically print more money, and they make a commission for doing it. So, yeah, it, it is pretty scary. What I would say is that there was a time when I was younger, it used to really get to me. But I would say that the reality is, the older I get, history, and in my mind, history has two different meanings. So history for the average person is that we think things happen as a mistake and that that's how history happens. But the reality is the people who know how history works and the people at the top, they know that history is planned and that so many of these things are planned in advance. And I would argue that they'll never pay that national debt. Basically, they will find an excuse to either uh, reset the dollar with something else or they'll just basically say, well, we're not going to pay it and what are you going to do about it? Because as long as the U.S. dollar is the global uh, trading medium, especially for oil. Um, there's nothing anyone can do. I mean, China can get as pissed off as it wants, but short of coming and invading the U.S., there's nothing that they can do to really get anything of value back out of it. Yeah, they can stop trading with the U.S., but the reality is China is just as dependent on the U.S. to buy their crap as the U.S. is to buy the crap from China. So if they... If they just said, we're not selling anything to the U.S., they'd have like 30% unemployment in China, and then you're going to have riots. So uh, that's why I'm not saying war with China is impossible, but that's why I always do think to myself when people say, oh, China and the U.S. are going to be in a war. I'm like, well, mm. basically, they're tied together at the hip. So it's all they're basically going to do is kill each other if they do that. That's the reality of it. Yeah, they're like one of our biggest trading partners. Yeah, well, they pretty much are the biggest trading partner. And um, and also China is the biggest buyer of U.S. debt. China is the reason why they can continue to sell those bonds and continue to pump up the national debt. Um, they need each other badly as, as much as the media might try and say they don't. They're, I mean, the USSR, uh, when I was growing up, I mean, the USSR and the U.S. couldn't be more separate like – very little there was business but very little between the two nations china and the u.s are basically tied together like there is no way anything that affects one is going to affect the other um, so like if people are waiting for china to fall if china falls i'm not going to say the u.s would fall for sure but there'll be a hell of a lot of pain out of it for the u.s another would be at my job we get, we get a lot of stuff from china no it's not just your job it's it's everywhere um yeah. The, the the reality is, see, this is where, again, I, I do have a bit of a chuckle when people complain about China and India and that polluting. The reason that China and India and that are polluting is because we didn't want to pollute in the U.S. and a lot of parts of Western Europe. So all they did 
I mean, even before I was born, it was happening. They basically outsourced all of almost all of the heavy industry to those countries. So the idea was that we've got cheaper labor over there. And on top of it, if we pollute their ground soil and their water and everything else, oh, who cares? So that's why there's so little actually made in the U.S. and Europe, because that basically goes back to the 60s and 70s. I mean, I can remember as a boy, Ronald Reagan talking about all of the manufacturing jobs who had been lost overseas and how he was going to bring them back. And then you fast forward to 2016 and Donald Trump was saying the same thing. And that was uh, 40 years later, right? So pretty close to 40 years later. So all I'm saying is that anybody who thinks that, again, something like that is just kind of willy-nilly, oh, it just happened this way. No, that was all planned in advance. And the same thing, basically, at the end of World War II, uh, Russia wanted reparations from Germany because Germany had obviously invaded Russia, killed something like between 15 and 20 million Russians. And so they basically said, well, they literally went into East Germany in the block that they controlled, and they literally took factories apart and shipped the whole factories back to Russia and reassembled them and started making steel or whatever else they just literally they said well you don't have money you don't have anything else we can take so they literally just took like factories sent them back to russia and rebuilt them so like i say a lot of this heavy industry like even that in russia that's how a lot of that ended up there i mean yeah they built some don't get me wrong but a good bit of it too came from east germany and at the end of world war ii oh. <laughs> yeah because i'm thinking like the, uh, the foreman or a job like his boss comes in well you take this building here and you bring it back to well, moscow wherever like what yeah you take the building down and put it back up over there okay okay well it's the, 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 <laughs> the, like okay the, the reality is first off you were dealing with a culture where you didn't question what your boss had yeah. to say to you because yeah uh, pretty much you just go missing pretty soon because word would yeah. get around that that uh, you complained. And then secondly, just coming out of World War II, you were probably just happy to have that job yeah. and uh, have a meal to eat and not have to worry about getting shot. So, yeah, but, but the, see, again, the way that Russia and the way that the USSR, but now the current Russian people and the government see the world is very, very different to the way that America and Western Europe see the world. And Russia, all through the Cold War, were paranoid that they were going to be attacked because we would sit here and say, oh, well, we would never do that. And you're right. I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. But it doesn't mean that the government wouldn't do that. And it doesn't mean that people like George Patton, who wanted to, he basically said at the end of World War II, he said he wanted to rearm the Nazi soldiers and and go and invade Russia. He wanted. He said, "Let's go. We're going to go to war with them eventually. So let's just go and get it over with." So this is why they had a paranoia because they were told time and time again, they were told by the Germans, "Oh, we want to attack you. We want peace. Everything else." And they did it twice within a twenty-year span. They'd they'd been invaded time and time again over the years. So Russia, for all the people talking about Russia being this great warmonger, and Uh, both the USSR and Russia itself. The reality is Russia has not invaded another country. They did invade Finland 
1939, I think, in the Winter War. But outside of that, short of what happened at the end of World War II, which was that they basically just beat the Germans and kept what territory they were in, they didn't actually invade anyone that I know of uh, unless you go back to like the 1800s. They're actually a fairly peaceable nation. It's just that it's, I guess it's a good boogeyman. You know, it was a good boogeyman in the Cold War. And I'm not saying that there weren't people in Russia who probably wanted war with the U.S., but there were plenty of people in the U.S. that wanted war with Russia. Curtis LeMay wanted to nuke Russia while we still had the atom bomb and they didn't. And there were lots of other people who were telling Truman and then later Eisenhower, we got to drop the bomb while we have it and they don't have it. That's what uh, the movie Dr. Strangelove is all about, is them just pointing out the the idiot attitude to say, well, we need to attack them before they attack us. It's like, you can't, you, you can't go around doing that. Um, I don't want to sound like I don't believe in conflict at all, because I do believe that you've got a right to protect yourself. But Gandhi had an excellent quote that I've always agreed with. And Gandhi's quote was that he said that an eye for an eye only means that the whole world will, will uh, end up blind. Just true. You go around poking each other in the eye every time something happens. So thankfully, um, you know, we managed to not have a major, major war. Uh, yeah, we've had Afghanistan and we've had Iraq, and those weren't pretty. But what I mean is like, and Syria, some of these others. But I mean, we haven't had like another Vietnam or God forbid, uh, Korea or World War II type scenario happen. And I hope that uh, I hope it doesn't happen in my lifetime. That's for sure. For sure, too. Um, do you think uh, do you think uh, USA could handle a draft right now? Uh, I don't think people would be very happy with it. Um, people weren't happy with it in the 70s, and I would say that the only way I think that a draft would be kind of accepted was if you could show that there was an actual threat to the U.S. and I don't mean the 400 plus bases around the world. I mean to the continental U.S. that there was. An, if you could show that, uh, I won't say Mexico, but let's say Brazil or someone like that was preparing to attack the U.S. and you had proof and everything else, and it was going to happen on U.S. soil, maybe. But the reality is, you don't need to anymore because what the U.S. does. Because, again, I mean, there's there's a quote from King Solomon, and I'm not sure if it's from the Bible, but I'm pretty sure it is. And Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, which basically says that anything that man has done that, that we see happen has happened before. And the reality is the U.S. now very much does what the Roman Empire did in the last few hundred years of the Roman Empire's existence. Which is what they do is they go to countries like Puerto Rico and countries in Europe like Macedonia and uh, uh, a lot of these countries. And they say, oh, do you want to be a U.S. citizen? Do you want to get a green card? you want to become a citizen? Yeah. Okay, well, all you have to do is go and fight for us for eight years or 12 years, and then we'll make you a citizen. And that's what they do. So that's why a lot of the military now – now, I've never been in the military, but I and I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I know for quite a while – it's basically been a lot of foreign mercenaries basically in the U.S. military. 
And you could argue that Puerto Rico isn't really foreign. I get that. But Puerto Rico is still not a U.S. state. It's just a territory. Well, I don't know the exact term, but it's not a U.S. state. They're not U.S. citizens. So, yeah, it's been going on for a while. And it's basically mercenaries. It's just one step away from having like Blackwater you know, private security or whatever in Afghanistan and Iraq. So I don't know. I'm, I mean, the reality to me is that I don't think you'll see a draft ever. And why I say that is if you go to war with China or Russia, it won't take long to go uh, nuclear. Somebody will use the nuke. And at that point, soldiers are meaningless. And the U.S. can draft all the all the soldiers it wanted anyway. When you're dealing with a country that's got 1.4 billion people or whatever the number is, like, you're never going to win a numbers game. Yeah. And I get that quality does matter, quality over quantity, and we hear all of that. But again, if you if you're drafting some kid from Indiana or Tennessee or wherever... They're not professional soldiers. They're not going to be interested. They're only doing it because they have to. I mean, yeah, you get indoctrinated and you get told, rah, rah, you know, got to protect our country and everything else. And every soldier pretty much in the history of the world has been told that. As much as people shit on the Nazis, yeah, the Nazi party I agree with. But I knew German soldiers and they were told the same kind of thing that the boys on our side were told, which is that if you don't defend your country, it's going to be the end of everything you know. And that pretty much ended up being true for the Germans because when the Soviets invaded East, Eastern Germany, it was mayhem. But all I'm saying is that that whole patriotism thing and beating the drum and waving the banners, it only lasts for so long. Because that's what happened in Vietnam. Once they got bogged down into this battle that went on for like 15 years, it was very much – you'd turn up there and after maybe a week of being excited, you very quickly work out. It's just like – how am I going to survive without dying or getting badly injured to be able to go back home? Yeah. I got patri patriotism and stuff. It's very interesting psychological part of being a citizen of the country. Oh, well, well, look, man. I Look, I was... Our generation was just as patriotic as any other. I mean, we grew up yeah. in the Cold War... That's it. We were basically told that it was it, it was literally us against the Russians, against the Soviet Union. Um, again, I'm not faulting people for this. I just think that people today, as a species, are more awake. Yeah, there are still people that have very much got their head in the sand. But I think that people in general are more awake than they were in my generation. I mean... Most of us didn't really wise up until we were kind of out of school and had kind of moved on and started seeing the world for what it was. But, you know, I was lucky. I had some free thinkers around and I read a lot. So I questioned a lot of things. But um, I, I would just argue that today with the Internet and the way that you can access information from all over, it's much easier to get that information. You don't have to rely on what the TV tells you or what the newspapers tell you. Or word of mouth, it's there. You know, if you want to find it, you'll find it. Sure, a lot. Yeah, man. Well, so it's always good to talk about this stuff. And um, yeah, the, the 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 reality is, I mean, I try to stay positive, but it, it it can. It's easy sometimes to get really negative about the world at large. 
Yeah. But uh, I just think that's part of our, our human nature. We always want to see improvement. We want to see the world get better. And I'm sure if we went back a hundred years, our you know our our family members at the time, there would have been things they would have ragged on about. Um, basically, every generation of a Western country since kind of Christianity took over has always kind of felt that they're living in the end times. I mean, when I when I was growing up in the 80s, we were all terrified that we were going to get nuked, and it did nearly happen a few times. I mean. You go back and you look at some of those cases. I think it was in 83, very close to nuclear war happening, and again in 79. But there there were multiple close cases during the Cold War that we were like literally minutes away from World War Three. So in hindsight, I'm kind of glad that we couldn't find out that stuff because I would have been I would have been terrified, man. I was when I was a kid, I was terrified of World War Three and what was going to happen, nuclear winter and everything else. It was the boogeyman of our time, definitely. I think it's like the boogeyman here in 2021. Like, uh, terrorism. terrorism. Terrorism right now. Yeah. I I think it's died off a little bit, but still terrorism tends to be the thing that most people, I think, are concerned about that they can't control. Now, it is interesting. I do find it interesting that I, I get that there aren't a lot of public gatherings and everything else, but I do find it interesting that, like, we had COVID and most of the terrorists just, like, went on vacation. It's like, yeah. we're not having terrorist attacks. We're not having these things happen, which is, I don't know if it's a coincidence or what, but it is interesting. And I think the next time, if we have a fairly major attack i think it'll bring it all those emotions and people's concerns back to the surface about terrorism i think that people should be much more concerned about nuclear weapons but i just think that a lot of people kind of feel like well we made it through the cold war um i i would actually argue that it's more dangerous now because world war three before was uh MAD, which was Mutually Assured Destruction. If we attacked Russia and Russia retaliated, it like basically 80% of the world's population was going to die. Something like that. 70-80%. Yeah. And now, I, I think that countries like North Korea threatening to use nukes, Pakistan and India, and they're kind of infighting. I think that it's actually more dangerous now because I think that there are countries out there that well, I know there are countries out there that have looked into using a nuke and what would happen. Would the other country retaliate with the nuke, etc.? And it does concern me that... Hello. My name is Tanner. I'm host of the Cozy Cryptid, and I'm here to tell you that Waverlo has brought our listeners a wonderful deal. Well, about um, Waverlo, following the brief introduction, Waverlo watches would hereby like to send our warmest welcome and invite new and returning friends from around the world to examine, discuss, and breathe all things watches. 
as well as a wonderful journey of watch appreciation together. Transferring the Swiss experience to all over the world from our online stores serves your elegant passion. They are available at awaybelow.com or on Instagram at official. Today, Wavelow has brought Cozy Cryptid listeners amazing deal. See, code word Cozy Time at checkout. You order something at their wavelow.com or just by clicking in the logo at cozycrypto.com forward slash brands. You will enter the discount code of Cozy Time for 50% off your order. Once again, that is 50% off your order with the code word Cozy Time at checkout at Wavelow. Go to wavelow.com or simply click on the logo at cozycrypted.com forward slash brands. For 50% off your order, cozy time with Wavelow. I get worried that in the next 20 to 30 years, it might get looked at. It, it's kind of losing its reputation of... Well, if we use a nuke, everybody loses. I think it is getting to be much more of a, well, we maybe we could get away with one, or maybe if if um, maybe if we got really bogged down, then we could use uh, we we could use a nuke to let the other side know we mean business. And I think that's a really slippery slope because I think once you use it, um, I think it's just going to be too. It's going to be it's going to be too tempting for other countries to use them. Even let's say you do have a, uh, I, uh, let's say Pakistan and India have another border war, and one of them uses a nuke on the other, and the other one retaliates, and let's just say they each use one. It doesn't even have to be that conflict. Then ten years down the line, you got another. You, maybe you've got Iran and Israel, and Iran's like, well, India and Pakistan did it, so, well, you know, and look what happened there. They just got sanctioned or whatever, so they feel more emboldened to use it themselves if that makes sense yeah like a damn like dick measuring contest and like how do you out measure a nuke like another nuke or more nukes well um yeah it, it it's scary to me the the thing is that uh like i say we, we there are multiple close calls like coming out of the cold war most people only really knew about the cuba missile crisis because it was public but there was in 1983 there were uh, NATO exercises called the Able Archer exercises, and the Soviets were paranoid and they were sure that we were getting ready to invade. So they were very close to um, using a uh, an, uh, can't remember the preemptive strike. So they were very close to launching a preemptive strike. There's also a case where. It ended up being birds in the radar, but a Soviet officer saw in the radar these the inbound blips, and they were sure it was missiles, but he refused to um, to order a retaliatory strike, and he got punished for it. I think he uh, I think he ended up going to prison for it, but he was right, and in the end it was birds. And if he would have ordered that strike, then it would have been World War Three. And there's, I know there were at least four or five times in the Cold War, on top of the Cuban Missile Crisis, where we were literally like minutes away from World War III. And Richard Nixon was 
very much doing they they called it the madman strategy where he talked so much about using nukes and nuking Vietnam what he wanted to do was have it in their mind that he could do it but the thing was the Soviets and the Chinese were both getting very nervous about him using it and again they were quite close to to just saying if anything happens if it's if it's even like if it's a 50-50 chance they wouldn't take the 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 time to call and make sure that that was an attack they just assume because Nixon was crazy that he must be nuking us. So yeah, man, it's it it's just one of those things where I think when you've got nuclear weapons, there's no going back. I mean, yeah, biologicals and all that are bad, but it's not if 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 you release a virus that kills people, it might affect animals and everything else, but if that virus really kills 100 million people and in 50 years there's there's nothing more to it. Yeah, it's terrible. Don't get me wrong, but all you've got is the dead bodies. Once you've used nukes, as we all know, you got radiation, you've got um, nuclear winter, on and on and on. And what I'm really worried about is that I know the U.S. military has been talking about it for a while, but they keep talking about using these tactical nukes or low yield nukes, which are much more like almost like giant bunker busters versus your huge nu- thermonuclears that wipe out cities. But again, what it does is it lowers that threshold to say, oh, well, we'll just use these mini nukes. We won't use the big ones, but it's okay to use these. It's like, no, it's not okay to use them. They're still nukes. Like, yeah, they might not be as destructive, but they're still terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, that one city, the nuclear fall or reactor went off. Um, oh, Chernobyl? Chernobyl. It's still like really bad. Still, he, I think now he still can't even go there. They, they, you can take tours there, and you can you you can't go to the reactor itself, but you can go to Pripyat, yeah. which is the city that was near it, and that. But again, they they measure your your rads, and you're only allowed to be there a certain amount of time. And they basically said that that what they're really worried about is that they use something like 600 tons of concrete to cover that reactor and they basically said that that concrete is all deteriorating from the radiation and that's been one of the questions is who's going to pay to clean that like they can't clean it up but just to keep it encased in that who's going to pay to do it because even though it was even though it's in the Ukraine it was the Soviet Union that was running the reactor not the Ukraine but the Soviet Union doesn't exist so if you're Russia, Russia's going, well, we're not the Soviet Union, we're Russia. So, yeah, it, it is a very messy situation. And you, you had that, you had Three Mile Island. Fukushima is a freaking nightmare. Um, I'm not an alarmist, but, man, Fukushima has been so mismanaged. And they're just dumping that radioactive water in the ocean like nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah I, I'm, I'm really worried about that, about what went on at Fukushima. And you know who built those plants in Japan, right? Uh, I'm trying to read it right now. General mm-hmm. Electric. He, really? Yeah. General Electric, U.S. company. And the thing was that those reactors, they knew when they built them, they knew they had all kinds of safety issues, and they built them anyway. Um, and again, it's like, I, I hope that those people who signed off on all of it and said, you know, oh, well, it'll I'm sure it'll be fine and think about all the money we're going to make. 
wherever they are, I, I really hope that that money helped them sleep at night because it wouldn't allow me to sleep at night. Um, I'm sure that the executives and that maybe were not told the whole story, but there would have been people that knew. And I know they, they knew because I remember when Fukushima happened, I, I kept up with what was going on. And those those um, reactors were basically obsolete when they were built. And they knew that they had flaws and the U.S. built them like GE built them anyway, took the contract anyway, even though that they knew that there were inherent flaws with the reactors and that they wouldn't cool properly and everything else in certain conditions. And they still did it. It's like... We're talking about com companies like BP in the Gulf of Mexico, and rightly so. They polluted the environment. But where's GE's um, culpability in this, you know? I didn't hear anything about GE spending money to clean this crap up. I get that the, the Japanese power company is the one running the plants, but they didn't build the plants. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's like a someone at a car dealership gives you a crappy car doesn't work. Yes. So I was running, well, well, it's your car now, so it ain't our responsibility, but yeah, but you sold it to me. Well, and see, this is the thing to me that kind of fuels speculation about anything like this. So for example, COVID, we all know it's a contentious topic, and it doesn't matter which side of the line you're on. So if you're you're, you're pro-vaccine or you're anti-vaccine, you, you, I do have to admit, one of the things that really got me wondering was when they talked about giving the shots here, long before they, they did any of the vaccinations, they'd already come out and said that the companies that made the vaccines were immune from any prosecution if there, if anything went wrong. And it's like... Why do you feel, why do you need to uh, say that on the news before any vaccinations have even happened? But I just find it very interesting. You know, they're not doing it for free. I if I could understand more if these companies said, right, look, we're not going to make any money on this. We're just basically going to charge you what it costs for us to make it because we're going to try and look after the world's health. But in return, we don't want to be liable if anything goes wrong. If they if they said that, that would make more sense to me. But they're profiting from it. You can't tell me that you're profiting from it. And at the same time, if something goes wrong, well, we're not responsible. It's like, hang on, you turned a profit. You are responsible. Like just what you were saying. Perfect example. I build a car. There's flaws with the car. Someone has an accident and dies. I am responsible. I made a profit from building it. If I get yeah. on the air, yeah, if I get on the air and tell everybody that, the aliens are going to attack and go and drown yourself. And of course, if I got sued, it's on me, man. Yeah, I can't just sit there and say, oh, well, no, no. Well, um, you see, uh, because because um, I did it on the Internet or some other excuse, I, I shouldn't be held accountable. It's like, no, hang on. You said it or you did it or you sold it, especially if you make money from it. You're culpable. It's your product, man. It's it's pretty crazy. How there's so much protections built in for some of these things. Yeah, it seems like there's a bunch of stuff like in business to cover your ass, like NDAs and like every uh, commercial for medicine. They're like, <laughs> check with your doctor first and are responsible for they lift off. And like, oh, by the way, this thing has like 
it gives like a 10 minutes of like side effects about your ears and what yeah see a lot of that i when when i was still there i mean there was it was just starting but not like what you have now we don't really get it nearly as much here because we have socialized health so you don't i don't go to the doctor and say doctor give me cialis i go to the doctor and i say um or or whatever it is what what's the hair one propecia you yeah. don't go and ask for Propecia. You go to the doctor and say, hey, I've got an issue with my hair. And then the doctor decides you don't decide. I mean, yeah, you can request it, but it, doctor, it's not up to the doctor um, to take what you say. They might say, try this one and we'll see if it works. But they've got a list of things that they're supposed to work through. So we don't get the ads here on TV is what I'm saying because it's pointless. There's there's no point telling everybody that you have to have Propecia because the doctor's going to – tell you whatever it is that are because what happens here is that the government there's a department that buys all of the medication and they decide what's the best medication so it's not even at the doctor's level you might have Propecia but we don't even have it available in the country because our buying entity has said no we're not going with that we're going to use these other ones Uh, but yeah basically when I left it was really kind of uh, Viagra and I think the other one was Cialis at the time because I remember um, like Rafael Palmero um, was shilling for one of them. I think it was um, I, I think it was Viagra. And then not long after that, he got busted for steroids and they were saying, oh, that's why he needed the Viagra. <laughs> yeah, I think Viagra started out as like a blood pressure medicine. I think. Well, there's there's lots of things like that, like you say, that um, it's kind of accidental. It's kind of stumbled upon. Or they give it to someone for this, and they find out that it cures that. Um, I mean, even penicillin was basically complete uh, a complete mistake. Did you know about that? Like how that happened? Uh, yeah, the guy like left some like bread or something in a dish, and like start growing moles, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Alexander Fleming. But yeah, it was it was something like that. Like, um, yeah, he 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 left it exposed to something, and then he was like, "Oh wow, this is this is killing the the bacteria." So, I mean, a lot of those things like that, they're they're just accidents, um, or like you say, they'll give they'll give you something for this, and it ends up taking care of this. It's like that whole thing. I can't remember the exact medication, but you might remember, like when COVID was really getting going last year oh, yeah. and they, they, they had like that anti-malaria um, stuff and they oh, were yeah. saying, oh, well, yeah, because again, they, you know, they'd found that it did work for some people, but that's the problem when you've got something like that, you've got kind of a new disease and people are panicking. It's like all it takes is somebody hears it and then they go, oh, it's a miracle and, and it, it, it'll cure it and they're keeping it from us, but the reality is it's like, no, it's just that we haven't done trials and everything else, and we've got no proof that it takes care of it. All we know is that, yeah, it might work for some people, but, um, I mean, placebos work for some people. There's some people that you could tell them, here's your COVID vaccine, and then it it it's nothing, it's water, sugar water, and it ends up being effective because it's a placebo, and your body has it in its mind that you're vaccinated. I suddenly get it. I have to get vaccinated eventually. I'm still like waiting. It's like right in here, you have to like make an appointment for it. Can you like walk in? 
the pharmacy or nothing like that here. Yeah, um, I know. Well, from what I've seen, it's it's becoming more and more available, and even here we had. First, they kind of did the people who were obviously going to be involved at the borders. Yeah. Then they started dealing with, um, they were supposed to deal with the elderly, but what started happening here is that it was supposed to be appointments only. And then at the same time, they didn't tell people, but they just started people walking in. And then they had like four and five hour long lines. And then they had to say, oh, yeah, we could have done that better. It's like, well, yeah, obviously. It's like, you should have a date and you should say, up until this time, it's appointments only or until we've treated how many ever people. And then after that, you can just have general walk-ins. But yeah, um, all I'm saying is that any any country that tells you that they've handled it smoothly, they haven't. Yeah. Like no country in the world has got this completely right. Um, even here, like we get lauded for things being great, but living here, there's things that they've done that they've just not done it well. Uh, that's not, that's not everything. Like every, like all your, like also jobs I have, I kind of like, well, I can, I can understand why I do it this way, but if it's like this way, it seems like more a lot of sense, but fine, I guess. Well, one of the biggest problems is when you've got, let's say, two virologists and they're giving yeah. the exact opposite advice and it's like well you're both supposed to be experts so who's right you know and yeah. most of us i mean we look we studied very rudimentary kind of like i know what a virus is and all of that but i'm the furthest thing from a expert in it and it's like who do you believe when you've got two people like that giving uh contradictory advice hopefully hopefully one of them has the causes the least harm to most people well, well, that's that's one of the good things here. I mean, uh, again, nobody, no one is ever going to do things that 100% of the population agrees with. I mean, even, for example, like World War II, when FDR declared war on Japan after Pearl Harbor, there's still a small segment of the of the country that didn't want to go to war, even then. So all I'm saying is, like, you'll never be 100% acceptable, but... Even here, the government basically came out fairly early and they said, don't listen to anyone else unless you hear it here. And what was happening was every day we had a press conference and then they would talk about how many cases we had, what to do, what to listen to, etc. And of course, there were some people like, oh, well, you can't tell me I only listen to you. But it's like, but even me, like I didn't vote for this government and it's not the government that I would have wanted in. But I could understand their point, which is there's like too much disinformation going around. So all they're saying is like if you want to get what like what's happening, the official word, get it at this uh, press conference every day. But still here, you know, we had, oh, I, I don't have to listen to you. It's like, well, of course you don't. But the bottom line is if you want to know what's actually happening, it's probably pays to listen to that. Because like I would love it when people here would would tell me. They'd go, oh, have you heard this? And they'll send me a link from the UK of what's happening here. It's like, well, I live here. I don't need, I don't care what some newspaper in England is saying. I live here. Like, I don't need that. I know what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, they send you newspaper, like, this is hypothetical, but they send you a newspaper clip of, like, oh, England's on fire. And you go outside, it's like, 
birds and sunshine. Like, huh? Yeah. And then you find out it's only one little corner of the country. Yeah. And 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 yeah, man, look, that's that's it here, like I I've I've got some pretty good supporters and friends that I've met on Instagram and that and, and I know that they don't know any better, but like I've had them tell me, Oh well, this is what's going on in your country and oh like um you know, they're 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 basically forcing people into these camps and it's like absolute BS. They are not. What they've done is they basically said anyone who comes into the country needs to quarantine. And you know where they're putting them up, Tanner? They're putting them up in hotels and nice hotels because I've stayed in some of those hotels. There's no camps. There's no military camps. But the thing is, like, certain entities in media, not only in the U.S., but around the world, they want to push this narrative of scaring people to think that, oh, this is what happens in these other countries. But the reality is absolute BS. Like, that's not what what is happening here. And, like, there are people here that don't want to go into quarantine but it's just like if you fly into new zealand that's what you have to do and now it's slowly changing like now we have a travel bubble with australia and with the cook islands so you can fly there and you can fly back and you don't have to quarantine um and they assess it like if there are more cases out there or whatever but yeah i, I just love it when people will send me things and go this is what's happening it's like did you ask me if that's what's happening because i actually live here you know <laughs> yeah like what's a early what's a from New Zealand that's a really good that's only from there. Wine. What? What did you say? Wine. Oh, like what? Like what kind of fruit from New Zealand? Oh, fruit. Well, I mean, literally, that's kiwi fruit are not only from New Zealand, but basically most of the harvest. But we've got all kind, basically apples, oranges, um pears, uh, all kinds of stone fruit, apricots and plums and peaches, basically everything that you've got in the U.S. Uh, but like probably if you said on a world stage, what's New Zealand most famous for, then it would be kiwi fruit and um, and probably apples after that, I'd say. Kiwi. I love kiwis. They're messy to eat, though. I always make a messy eat uh, ki- Kiwi fruit have certain enzymes in them. They're really good for tenderizing. Um, Unfortunately, too, they they can have a tendency to go right through you. So, yeah, yeah, I I can't eat kiwi fruit. (laughs) But, but, um, but yeah, it's a big part of our economy here, kiwi fruit. Got fish from around there. Like tuna? Oh, yeah. Um, So a lot of of the fish you have there is from here. most of the orange ruffy that you'd have in the U.S. is from here. Um, it's not nearly as much from Australia as there is here. Orange ruffy, uh, snapper, the green lip mussels only come from here. So if you go in the supermarket in the case, they've got the little black mussels and they've got those great big ones that have got the green edge to the shell. Those are from New Zealand. They're, they're only from New Zealand. Um, but yeah, I mean, snapper, trevally, all kinds of fish that you wouldn't necessarily know. Um, tuna, yeah, we've definitely got tuna here. Um, but I would say the one that you would know right away is is Orange Ruffy. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I ever had that. It's it's really nice. It's um, I don't know how popular it is now, but but when I used to sell it um, in the U.S., it was it was pretty popular. And um, 
you can do it a lot of different ways, but I just like to uh, basically just get a pan and melt uh, melt some butter in it and just basically cook the fish in that. Uh, and um, you don't need any breading or anything because it just, uh, Orange Ruffy is really mild fish. Cook it in the butter and, and maybe some lemon, salt and pepper. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's really nice. But I do my fish, like salt and pepper, a little bit of lemon. Yeah. yeah, that's it. You don't. You don't. I mean, you lose the flavor of the fish. <laughs> I'm gonna go to New York in September, see some family, and try to eat like all New York pizza and everything up there. Yeah, and I, I never got to New York. Um, one of the we we do have a pizza chain here, but it's not a big chain, but it's gotten bigger in the last few years, and they're New York style. It's called Sal's. And uh, they they they're pretty like it, it is pretty close to New York pizza, but um, like they import almost all the stuff as well. Uh, and you've got a lot of standalone places here that kind of do it, but um, there there are foods from the U.S. I miss, and it, it's gotten better, especially over the last five to ten years. Like now, there's quite a few barbecue places popping up. Uh, when I first got here, you couldn't actually you, you couldn't really find it. I could only I had to make it at home. And the same with Mexican and Italian. Like, if I wanted it to be decent, I had to make it at home. But it has gotten better here. Do you think uh, food culture, like, food, uh, culinary food, like, different things will start spreading out more? You see more, like, sushi places in Alabama or brown places in, like, Tallahassee, stuff like that. And, like, barbecue places in, well, New Zealand. Well... I think it's happening. I think, like it's, it, well, it, it it just comes down to the the population of a certain area. So, for a very long time, the South, for example, by and large, most parts of the South, the population didn't move around a lot. So, like people in maybe in the cities, but like in rural Tennessee or rural yeah. Alabama or Mississippi, people lived there for generations and they weren't going anywhere. And those kind of people are much more into tradition. They go and eat at the same place on Friday nights. They eat the same kind of food. They don't want to try new things. But that is by and large changing in the world because a lot of people, and, and like now what's happened in the U.S. in the last 10 to 15 years, and there's been a lot of economic upheaval in that, and a lot of people have to move. And so they get exposed to new things. I mean... When I moved to California, I learned about all kinds of different cuisines and that that we didn't have in the Midwest. And so by the time I left there and came here, it's like we are quite a, a melting pot here. And there is lots of variety. But the whole thing about it is that we're still only a small country population-wise. So like if you take it by percentage, yeah, we've got a lot of different restaurants and a lot of different cuisines. But you might only have one or two. In, in the city, so you've got to drive 40 miles or whatever to get there. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. we definitely have it. It's just that because we're a smaller country, it's you might have to go away to get it. But like I say, it, it has changed quite a bit. And now, like, there's a barbecue place probably 15 minutes away that does it, the like, Texas-style barbecue. There's another one that just opened not too long ago that I haven't tried that's probably... 20 minutes the other direction 
and before you had to go downtown like you had to go into the city and that's why i didn't go to a lot of these places because it's just a nightmare to go in there and park and just like yeah. almost every big city it's just it's like a pain nightmare. you got to go and pay for parking yeah exactly and it's like you don't end up relaxing because you're sitting in traffic so um but but yeah i mean uh we don't really like like we have a way of eating here but we don't have a food like you can't open a New Zealand restaurant in the US you could but a lot of the food would be similar to US food with a few exceptions it would be like trying to open a Tennessee restaurant like not Tennessee barbecue but just a restaurant of Tennessee food and people would be like what is that like what kind of you know yeah what what culinary items is that and it could be everything from fried chicken to uh steak you know what i mean it's so but things like barbecue if you talk about texas barbecue obviously everyone around the world knows what that is so you can market it and like here uh it's been really popular here for a long time but it's it's started taking off more and more in the u.s outside of california is vietnamese food you know is becoming really well known and see, like that whole food truck thing, we really never went through that here. We never had, there are a few food trucks, but like that whole thing where it was like there were food trucks everywhere, we never had that here. I wish we had a food truck around here. I love like a food, a food truck food. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I watched like Chef. I watched that one food truck movie called like Chef. Like I like quit his restaurant job and like a food truck making Cabanos. Sandwiches, it's on. What was was that a really old show? It was a, uh, I think, it came out like in 2010s, around there, with the guy who directed the um, one Star Wars series. But it 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 sounds like I don't know for sure, but a lot of times there'll be a show come out and basically they've just copied a show from another country, and it's. It sounds like a show that came out in the UK in the, I want to say in the 90s, called Chef. And it wasn't like he didn't start a food truck, but he basically quit being a chef in the city and went to work in like a cafe or something like that. And uh, it, I, um, I think the guy's name is Ainsley. Um, I can't remember his last name, but he's quite a famous chef in the, in, in England. He's... Um, He's like uh, his family's from the Caribbean, so he's like he's black, but uh, his family's from the like Jamaica or somewhere like that. So that it sounds like even the name sounds like the same show. Maybe they just kind of took that idea and updated it. Yeah, yeah like John Favreau in it. No, I haven't seen that one though. I've seen um, they had that food truck race or food food truck challenge. I saw that. Uh, I saw a couple seasons of that. I don't see monster talking. My ears are burning. <laughs> Hi there. My name is Tanner. I'm here to tell you about Elantra. Elantra is a jewelry brand. It was launched six years ago. Being named by three he says, who adore jewelry and door and cherish jewelry. Firstly, they were creating jewelry under the brand. They had a wonderful journey getting to where they are today. 
All pieces are designed and created by Italian designers. They've done everything from your classic everyday word to show stopping runway items <coughs> to everyday wear to show stopping runway items. The passion to create is always growing and it's well as an eye for amazing human crystals and sterling silver pieces that they've recently introduced to the collection. These pieces are sourced with love and so we hope you love them too. Majority of pieces are all of one of a kind, making a special piece you purchase a bestoke item. With earrings and chunky necklaces with earrings and chunky necklaces being my favorite design, they will endeavor to bring you new design new regular designs. Enjoy and love your new three angel creation and thank you for your support. The local Western Italian small business. Much more of Mary. That is, Fletcher has women earrings, women necklaces, bracelets and anklets, rings, men's necklaces, men's bracelets, and men's rings as well. You can simply go to Fletcher.com and use the code COZYOFF50 for 50% off your order today. Again, go to Valentra.com. B-U-L-U-N-T-R-A dot com and check out. Use code COSYOFF for 50% off your order today. Yeah, it makes me hungry every time I talk about food. JT, so what's your new, what's your new episode coming out? Uh, so, usually on Wednesdays, so it'll be Wednesday night here and Wednesday morning, so basically by the time everyone gets up in the U.S., it's usually out. I mean, occasionally there might be a little bit of a delay, but it'll still usually be out in the morning. If it's ever anything significant, I try and give people a heads up. Sometimes things just happen. But uh, Wednesday's my normal release day, and then occasionally I'll do, like, bonus episodes as I have time. I've had <laughs> I've had less and less time lately. But uh, I try to stick to that Wednesday so people always know they'll have a new episode out on Wednesday. So that's definitely the plan. I've got Wednesdays written, and then i just got to sit down and, and record it. What's it going to be about? So I alternate generally. Uh, I do two kinds of shows. I basically go from UFOs one week, and then the next week is kind of like everything else. So it might be cryptids. It might be lost treasure. It might be like histories, mysteries. But... Because there's so many UFO cases that I want to cover, and also so many people are interested in it, that's why I tend to do like uh, around half the shows on UFOs. I don't want to spill the beans exactly, but basically, yeah. this is a early UFO um, wave or or flap that happened. And the thing is, like I said before, so many of these cases that don't happen in the U.S don't necessarily get the coverage that they deserve. So this one happened in Europe and not long after World War II. And it's been fascinating. When I did the research on it, I learned quite a bit about it. And it's a really interesting case. It's one of those when people first hear about it and they just kind of scratch the surface. They go, oh, this has got an easy explanation. But when you start getting into it more and more, it's not that simple. And it is a really fascinating and a really interesting case. Some of the people who have said things about it, like that have been involved in it, people in the countries and also people in other countries. 
as the years went on and kind of they spilled the beans about a lot of it, it is a really fascinating case. And I do think that, that people will really enjoy it. It was just like I say, just at the end of World War II, just as the Cold War was kind of kicking off. But the, the reality is, at the end of the day, they said that whatever these things were, they were real, like a, a good percentage of them were real. They weren't figments of the imagination or illusions because they were showing up on radar. They also found some of them uh, crashed. They didn't actually recover a lot of the stuff, but they found impact sites in it. So it is a really interesting case topic. And uh, like I say, I know a lot of people in the UFOs and, and that that kind of listen and cover this, but I'd say that the average UFO enthusiast wouldn't have heard of this case, but it is fascinating, and I think you'll really like it, Tanner. Right. I want to listen to it right now. It sounds very interesting. Okay. Look, like, all the, like, stories that are, like, not well-known. Well, well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't just dig up cases to say, oh, well, this guy on this day saw a flying saucer and it went away and nothing happened like the ones yeah. I try to cover I now now like if in that case if there was like excellent evidence if you had an excellent photo or military witnesses that's a bit different but I try and cover these ones that they're not so well known but it's also not just two guys on a hunting trip say they saw something like the stuff that I try and cover I try and make sure there's some meat to it yeah. uh, if it is something that's like uh, a lot smaller than that a lot of times i'll roll it into one of these bigger sightings if it's around the same time to just say at the same time as these were going on in the u.s maybe this case happened but uh but that's it man that that's exactly it is the whole idea is to introduce some of these cases as you're saying that so many people just like go oh roswell and travis walton and you know they'll name about five or six and i'm like i can name like 50 excellent cases and these are the ones that I want people to be aware of. And this is definitely one of those. Uh, like one of the early ones I covered about the Cisco Grove one. Uh, if you haven't listened to that one, it was in 1964 in California. And these guys that went out hunting, if you haven't listened to that one, man, Tanner, <laughs> go back and check that one out. I think you'll really like that one. That was, not only was it interesting, but it was also pretty freaky. Or can people check out where can people listen to that episode? Oh, yeah, of course. So I host through Acast. So you can huh? just, yeah. You, the the only, I mean, the reason why I mention Acast is that it tends to drop on there. Like as soon as I release it, it's on there. Sometimes you might have to wait for an hour or so for it to turn up on the other platforms. But you can listen on Apple. You can listen on Google. You can listen on Spotify. I had some issues with Spotify, but I've got that sorted out now, so they're updating okay. Um, it's basically any of the major platforms like Amazon. Uh, I tend to listen to my podcasts on Apple. You can also just go to theparanormalsun.com, so www.theparanormalsun.com. Uh, and if you go on there, I also host all of the episodes on there. There's a web player, so you can listen to them on there. And then... If you want to kind of follow on social media and see what I'm up to, the best way to do it is to either go in the show notes and there's a link at the top that says you can follow or support the show here or go to Instagram, find the paranormal sun. So the underscore paranormal underscore sun and 
if you go there and you go into my profile, there's a link there and it'll basically just take you to like a link page that's got all everything that you could basically want as far as uh, the show goes and where I release. Yeah, you pretty much got it. Stuff like me. Like, first of all, do things. I have a social media and a website where you can all the episodes and stuff that. Well, well, that was it. Early on, especially, I wasn't quite sure about how fast it was going to get out there to the different platforms and that. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure there was a place that I could tell people, I own this. Like, that's my website. I own that website. So you can yeah. always go there and access it. And, I mean, I've, I've, I've re-upped that website, so it'll be around. It's not going anywhere. I When I listen to the episodes... If I'm not listening to the raw audio, I'll just listen through usually Apple on my phone because it's handy. But like I say, I mean, I've I've signed up like because I've got some listeners in India. I've got listeners in Africa. So like I've went out of my way to find podcast platforms there that are actually pushing these shows out there to make it easier on them. So if they want to go through Apple or whatever, that's fine. But I just I really want to give people the ability to use something maybe for whatever reason like you know with apple if you don't have ios um they can't use it so they might want to use something more local but it just gives people opportunities and also a lot of times um if you certain people if they search by tags they might not there's so many podcasts on something like apple or spotify they might not find it and on some of those smaller platforms they might search like paranormal and might be only one of a handful to come up so might be a little easier for them to find. Yeah. Paranormal gun is such a, it's such a huge topic. I think you're doing a really good job of the podcast as present information to people in the most neutral way possible. Um, thanks for that, man. I really do appreciate it because that is, at the end of the day, that is the whole point of the program. It's the way that I approach it is that if you're the jury, I want you to hear not the evidence, but basically this is how this case supposedly went down. And I try and make sure that I include things that skeptics say or debunkers, even if I agree with them or not. There are times that I'll talk about some of the suspect um, characters involved because there are debunkers out there with a very bad name that have done some real dodgy things and i make sure to lambast them but at the same time it's not about me i i've got my ideas it's about letting the audience listen and the other thing is i want people to realize so few people like people in general unless they're really into this when they hear paranormal they just instantly think ghosts and they go you're a ghost hunter like i've had people say to me they'll hear they go oh what's your show the paranormal son oh so you do investigations i'm like no um, I cover UFOs and all these other kind of things as well. Uh, oh, oh, uh, I thought the paranormal was only ghosts. It's like, no, it's literally in the name, paranormal. It's it's uh, unnormal. It's it's anything, any of these things that are in the odd. And that's why I chose that name because it's a umbrella term. I didn't want to use Fortean because a lot of people don't know what that term means. So I thought by using the paranormal sun, it would give the people an idea that we're going to talk about anything in this field. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I'm talking about. And, and also, like I always say, um, if you're out there and, and um, 
you're listening and you say, oh, why don't you cover this or that or why don't you cover this case? The thing is, like, I've probably got two to three hundred subjects lined up in the background I just haven't gotten to. So if there's something you want to hear about, you know, by all means, get a hold of me and just say, hey, um, JT, are you going to cover this? When do you think you'll get to it? And a lot of times I'll try and move that forward if it's something that the listeners want to hear. Yeah. So I'll try to help you. Like, uh, I'm going to try and get, like, more, like, user stuff come in, like, questions. Yeah. And I'm trying- Oh, ain't working too bad. Ain't working too good. I want to do like a user episode. It's it's not easy, man, a lot of times because people are so busy kind of doing their stuff. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I guess at certain times of the year it might be a little bit easier if people are off work. But in general, yeah, it, it is hard. I mean, even people who I know, close friends, and I've said to them, especially when I was starting out early... What do you want me to cover or what do you want me to is there anything any questions you have they're just like oh no no you're doing fine or they'll say oh it's your show you decide what to cover and hey that's great but at the end of the day i want to do also what people want to hear you know so if if you don't ask yeah you don't necessarily know you're covering the kind of things people are interested in well i think i'm lucky because i try to go with the thing that like i have a lot of stuff to go with i'm going like you know, all the monsters in every country. And there's a lot. Yeah. So only down to like, only up to three now. I just still, what, another 200 or something to go? <laughs> well, you're right, man. That That is a good, that is a good strategy. There's plenty of them around the world. And the good bit about doing something like that is uh, you'll learn just as much as your listeners will. I mean, like I say, I, I learn something every episode to this day, uh, even things that I think, oh, well, I already know about this. Um, but then when I go and actually dig into it and really start getting into the nuts and bolts of it, I'll find something new that I didn't know about. I don't think there's anything I've covered that I haven't learned something about that I didn't know before. I want to definitely learn something new with every guest I have on, either about a topic or about myself or them. Now that look, that's a good way to look at it, man. It's like we we really do need to always be trying to learn. I mean, you you can learn all you want. You don't necessarily have to do anything major with it or like change your life, but it's just learning. And I mean, that is what keeps our brains fresh and always being open to those new ideas and taking in that new information. I mean, to me, it's really key. It's really important. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Have a wonderful conversation with me. Oh, of course. Of course. No, I appreciate it. We should get like, I want to get like everybody on for like a big group chat thing once, but I don't know how that's going to work. Everybody's schedule. Well, the the best way to do it, I, I would say, is that you just make a instagram group like one of those message groups yeah um because you can just add multiple people in as you do the message and just say hey look i'd like to get you guys together and basically give some rough ideas and just say what works for you guys and i i mean right now i mean there are going to be days i'll be busy but in general i'll try and work around it for you as much as i can because 
I'll be the odd one out. I'm the one whose time difference is going to be the most different. So, I mean, if I got to be on, I mean, I, I was up. I, I didn't really get much sleep before I did this. I was up pretty much all night. So if you mm. would say, yeah, if you would have said, oh, can you be on at 1 a.m. or something? Yeah, I usually can. It's just if I can plan for it and I'm not doing something else. Yeah, you know, I'll work around it, man. I'll, I'll do my best to support you. You know that. Yeah. Time is it there? Right now it's 11 a.m. Just coming up on 11 a.m. on mm. Monday. Is there for breakfast? Do you breakfast it? <laughs> no, I had some toast before I came out here. I just had a couple that's pieces good. of toast and a cup of coffee. Oh, that's good. Maybe that though. I think. Yeah, good. yeah, no. I, yeah, I'll probably a, after I finish up. Um, I might. I don't know. I'm recording the baseball game. I might go and watch the baseball game, or I might go and have a nap and then watch it when I get up. But we'll just see. <laughs> well, everyone should check you out. Check out your podcast. No, uh, thanks. And and like I say, anybody out there, you know, I'm I'm very much like uh very much like Tanner. It's easy to get a hold of me. I'm open to suggestions and I don't bite, so I'm usually on Instagram the most, so if you're wanting to get a hold of me, that's probably the best place. I am on Facebook. I do have a Twitter account, but I don't really use it. But yeah, I hang out on Instagram the most, so don't don't be afraid if like I say if there's a question or a case maybe you want to cover and um again even if it's something like you want to as 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 uh tanner was saying if it's something where you want to cover over your own experiences or you just want somebody to read what you've seen or what you've experienced on air let us know i'm happy to do it definitely well i try to end this episode smoothly i'm good at this um no no problem man um, like like I say, thanks for having me on, and uh, happy to come back anytime. Thank you. You're welcome back anytime too. Tell me how that game went. Oh, definitely. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious. 
serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.